This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Chevy Chase is invisible. Halle Berry is award-winningly sad. And Danny DeVito speaks for the trees this week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a little journey across three decades, 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Get it? It'll make so very much sense. Hi, one of yours, Chris Antista, and who else is with me? I'm a Mambo Queen, Diana Goodman. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls, a 1,300-year-old dragon who woke up from a 100-year nap. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be a weird week. This... I think you mean the star of the best CBS sitcom of all time. Man, for you lucky viewers out there who have access to a CBS affiliate 30 years ago, it's going to be an exciting one. <laughs> it's going to be real exciting. Uh, this week is filled with so much wonderful crap. I, I just can't get enough of it. Thirty twenty ten. The format being, we look back thirty twenty ten years ago to this week. This week being February twenty fifth through March third in nineteen ninety two, two thousand two, and twenty twelve. And we'll tell you all the cool movies, TV shows, video games, music, and a tiny bit of news that came out during that period. First off, I got to thank our patrons, like executive producer Matthew Schultz at patreon.com slash laser time. Thank you so much for your contribution. We encourage uh, as many listeners as we can to contribute at the $5 level. Life is hard. This is my full-time thing. We try and get everybody paid and, you know computers mess up you get it it's not not a job just because you like it and we encourage you to help out we give you free stuff and there's a there's a big old video game listening party there that people are really enjoying and this week i believe i'll be joined by the live from the pool house folks if you liked sonia Ballantyne's appearance on this program a few months ago we'll be talking about the gritty reboot of the fresh prince of bel-air bel-air where i asked the timeless question who the fuck is this for <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! This is so confusing. Oh, uh, speaking of Sonia Valentine, I found out. Oh, I think her sister is an extra in Goon that we talked about last week. No, she the the Canadians. Oh, yeah. that's right. She's up there in Canada. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, well, that there's is... like four people. So anytime a movie's in Canada, you know, <laughs> I just call up my cousin. Like, how many of them you know? Oh, like four of them. Okay, cool. Proportionally, it's like Lord of the Rings in New Zealand. You got to get a couple people in exactly. the Winnipeg shot. But just a really fun week in terms of stuff. I love hate and love to hate seriously this week is so much fun for that kind of stuff kind of world-renowned crap especially in the first decade so beginning like we always do in 1992 february 25th through march 3rd let's start you off with a little bit of news oh my god uh 79 year old still alive back buys a coffee at a mcdonald's drive-thru and becomes a political football made of bullshit what, who, which one of you wrote that? Because that's a great line. <laughs> Man, I, Diana wrote me. that. So when you hear about the McDonald's coffee incident, mm -hmm. what what was the story there that you heard? Some dumb lady spilled a cup of coffee on her crotch and deserved because she's dumb. Blah, 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 blah. Late night monologue jokes. Blah, 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 blah. All right. So what, what you heard was some some bimbo got a coffee from McDonald's, was trying to drive with it on her lap, spilled it everywhere, and then got millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. All of that is wrong. All of that is wrong. What? 
it. Like every single part of that is wrong. And 30 years ago this week is when, yeah, 79 year old Stella Liebeck of Albuquerque, New Mexico, her grandson was driving the car. She asked, to, I want to go get a coffee, got a coffee. He passed it to her and she's like, oh, but they didn't put cream and sugar in there. So he pulled over and parked so she mm-hmm. could put the cream and sugar in. She spilled it all over her lap and got third degree burns, spent more than a week in the hospital and got skin grafts because the coffee was 180 degrees, Mm -hmm. which is like 20 degrees more than everyone else's. And And she was wearing sweatpants. So the sweatpants, picture this listeners, fused to her skin. That's how hot the coffee was. And yeah, all she asked for was them to cover her medical bills. Yep. And, uh, and and there's a great documentary about this called hot coffee. And the yes. things that are the That's things that are left out of this uh, argument, the coffee was so hot because McDonald's doesn't want to replace the coffee. It wants to leave dirty, stinky coffee in there all day, and if they keep it hot enough, it keeps the bacteria out. So, not good for customers, better for bottom line. And what ended up happening was McDonald's received punitive damages. So the woman didn't receive eight billion dollars because she was. They received that, I believe. They established we wanted to penalize McDonald's one day of coffee revenue for them. Exactly. across the United States. And that's what the settlement was to punish them and to ensure that they don't do it again, which they did not. They did not because they don't want to lose several million dollars a day. Instead of it, actually paying that though, they appeal. They appeal. <laughs> yes. Right. It was supposed to be $2.7 million, which would be two days of coffee revenues. And the judge immediately reduced that to about $500,000, which is about 18% of what the punitive damage was from the jury. And, and, and then they appealed some more, and eventually they settled for an undisclosed amount, which I can guarantee you was less than the $500,000. Probably, and, and may not have even covered her health insurance bills. This day and age, holy shit, like that that many, a yeah, woman she, that age? I mean, She, she did in-home care the rest of her life. Yeah, if you, if you watch the documentary, they will show you what it did to her body, and you will be like, Jesus Christ, oh my God, I didn't know it was that mangalus or whatever. Like, it's way worse than Jay Leno. And Norm MacDonald led you to believe, because Norm MacDonald has a joke about this as well. And unfortunately, the Stella Awards was created, which is a celebration oh. of frivolous lawsuits. Oh. And uh, that is actually continued to this day, www.stellaawards.com, Gross. as well as a Amazon bestseller, The True Stella Awards. They mention, I think, in both those books and website that it's really not a good name because the lady had a solid name. case and the system worked as it's supposed to. They were supposed to be penalized and they were supposed to change so they won't be penalized further. But we're keeping the name anyways. Uh, <sighs> yeah, that's bullshit. And then politically, this became a big thing. Republicans love talking about tort reform. Tort reform! And that it's so wrong for people to file these frivolous lawsuits and have activist judges give them millions of dollars from those poor corporations who weren't bothering anybody. And now 30 years later, it seems like everything's flipped and now Republicans want you to sue for everything. Did your kid hear the word racism at school? You should sue them. Uh, unless, really, unless it's COVID. Think, unless it's COVID. They wanted, in order yeah. for us to get any aid, they had to make sure we couldn't sue our employers. Yeah. Mm. How about you sue your neighbor because you think she had an abortion? How do you don't elect I, uh, Republicans anymore? Man. I really think that this is one of the first example of meme because yeah. the mm. Wall Street Journal debunked this story days after it broke. Mm-hmm. Days after it broke, uh-huh. the Wall Street Journal went, this is why this is a BS story. It had it all laid out. Uh, Everything you see in the documentary is mentioned in that days after the story broke. Didn't matter. You know, the late night comedians kept making jokes about it because 
it's an easy punchline for them. And then people got their information from that, or they heard it third hand, or they got it from an editorial who heard it third hand. Yeah. So it's really not the news that actually had an impact. It's just people memeing the news. A little bit, yeah. No, and talk radio. And talk talk radio, like in order to discuss tort reform, would constantly bring up the dumb lady who spilled the coffee on herself. And uh, again, this is. It's coffee. And and, uh, to JR's point, this was like, I think about a two year story. So this is brought up routinely throughout the year as this dumb lady spilled coffee on her in places that are not news for a long, long time. And for lack of a better term, late night monologues were our memes for a while, but for a while there in the early nineties. So yeah, poor Stella. Yeah. She made it to, to 91. She passed away, but mm-hmm. yeah, she was, it, it ruined the rest of her life. Yep. Ruined she was the rest debilitated of her life. And so, couldn't move around and needed constant care. So McDonald's could serve you stale coffee. Once again, remember, I love pointing this out. Coffee that you pay money for, mostly your water. It's about three. <laughs> it's about three percent. Most of it is water you already paid. Your tax dollars already paid for, and three percent is additives. Um, yeah. Do you know how much that coffee cost back yeah. then? I totally had forgotten. The small coffee McDonald's was forty nine cents. Holy shit! Whoa! This was a forty nine cent tragedy. You can't even get a fucking uh, plastic homie for that amount anymore. Uh, <laughs> you can't get nothing. Nope. Can't get a wacky wall walker. Nothing. <laughs> nope. And in other, in equally sad news, NBC announces this week. Not only the end of Saturday morning cartoons and its lineup, which we'd already seen coming. They talked that they were going to do that. But they canceled Night Court. Night Court is canceled Ah. after nine seasons. Ah. A show I have an odd amount of affection for. Moving on to the movies of 1992, February 25th through March 3rd. Wayne's World is still number one at the box office. And if you didn't hear that episode two weeks ago, I could not be happier about that. Mm. And it's going to stay there for two more weeks after this. Impressive. I just looked ahead to see what can what will finally stop Wayne's World, and it's hilarious. Oh no! <laughs> oh, no. I'm it intrigued, and I'm going to listen to thirty twenty ten religiously yes. to find out what the answer. is. Yeah, and I will not look up ahead. Do not cheat. No. That's spoilers. <laughs> Do not cheat on thirty no. twenty ten like that. I'm just kidding. Do what you'd like. But we, here's the movie section of 1992, starting with Madeline Kahn, Joanna Gleason. Jonathan Silverman and Talia Shire and uh, Jack Lemmon in For Richer, For Poorer, a movie I've never heard of. Oh, Lord. So this might have been on HBO mm-hmm. and then went to theaters everywhere else where sometimes it was called like Man, Woman and Mistress, which makes it sound way sexier. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> trying to think of who's the who's the sexy mistress in this in this cast. I wonder. I think Joanna Gleason is I mean, actually. Obviously. Uh, but how sexy can any movie starring Jack Lemon be, honestly? <laughs> if you just yeah. let me get my pants off real stop hassling me. I'm getting even my pants you, off. Yeah, even when he's young, uh, that's not sexy isn't the word that grabs me. No. Yeah. Adorable, he, yes. <laughs> the only, the only, uh, Bob, Jack Lemon was a sexy Bob Hope, and that's about the only time you could apply that. Uh, sexy Bob mm. Hope. <laughs> sexy Bob. Yeah, that's a reference our listeners all understand. It sure it will. Sure it will. <laughs> okay. So, so Jack Lemon is like, he's worked really hard and he's a millionaire, and Jonathan Silverman is his son who doesn't try. So Jack Lemon gives away all his money to teach him the value of work. I did see this. Okay. And Man on fails. HBO, tons. Yeah. And it sounds like it fails just completely horribly. And like the, the the whole time, like I have to admit, I didn't watch it. I read the synopsis and I'm like, so cut him out of the will. So cut him yeah. out. So cut him off. Or cut just him off. Kick him out of the house and say, you're on yeah. your own. This is my house. Yeah. Pull a Joan I don't Crawford. Have to give up my fortune. <laughs> 
to yeah. teach you a lesson. I don't have to give you shit, yeah. Jonathan Silverman. I go pop it around your and, dead boss. Yeah. <laughs> but the framing device is that he was so despondent about all this that Jack Lemon tries to kill himself, and then homeless Mad homeless lady Madeline Kahn comes and talks him out of it. Wow. Which wacky. <laughs> I mean, suicide was used as a framing device quite a bit, or at least a comedic device, a hell of a lot more compared to recently. Mm -hmm. But then, like, yeah. uh, it feels like a lot fewer people committed suicide back then. There's one in, like, two years that will kind of, like, change the way we perceive what that is. It's mm -hmm. Kurt Cobain. But that's just for someone my age. Funny. No! Hmm. Throwing yourself off of buildings is not funny. I, I I know. I know. But, like, remember, it's it's in, like, every movie at this point. Mel Gibson does it, like, twice a film. <laughs> so uh, suicide was fairly stable from 1980 to 2000, and then it has steadily rose since the oh, year yeah. uh, 2000, about 150% what it was in the year 2000. Holy okay. shit. So things are going. Is America great again? I forget. Yes, we can move on. Uh, Under Suspicion with Liam Neeson and Laura Sengiacomo and uh, Kenneth Cranham. Yeah, this sounds like a very old-fashioned film noir, Indeed. and I was kind of bummed to find out that like the reviews were pretty rough. That is like set back in the 50s where to get a divorce, you had to like prove someone was cheating. So there was this whole industry of people who would pretend to be your mistress and like a detective could take photos of you. And that would, you know, just get the paperwork done. But then like Liam Neeson is this detective who does that sort of work. And then maybe he's framed for murder. Man, the Bible was still really strong back then. Divorce. Goddamn divorces were difficult. Yeah. And uh... All right, let's get on to the good stuff. The good stuff, man, I, I, again, I do a lot of my research after I've decided to not watch this movie this week. And I looked at this, having never heard of it. Ah. What the fuck? This is like a full on, like, crazy, like, Latin musical released by a major Hollywood studio that I've never heard of. Look at this cast Celia Cruz, Tito Puente, Vondi Curtis Hall, Talisa Soto, Roscoe Lee Brown, Desi Arnaz Jr. How As I... his dad. Yeah. As his dad. And, uh, Mark, I don't know how, Marushka Detmers. Marushka Detmers. <laughs> and the ever-Latin Kathy Moriarty. But Antonio Banderas and Armando Sante in The Mambo Kings. Yeah, this is Antonio Banderas' uh, English language debut. Wow. Yeah, he had to learn his lines phonetically. He did not speak English well enough when he was cast for this. And uh, he, it's an amazing performance when you consider that he's really suffering from a lack of English. And he's on the poster. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. on the poster. I was wondering, is this like the first like very, very Latin big Hollywood film? There was La Bamba a little while ago, but oh, even yeah. even that's mm -hmm. like because I think it's you know, it's Lou Diamond Phillips, a Filipino playing yeah. <laughs> depending on how much but, Yeah, it's very much about Mexican culture at the time. It is too, yeah. like his whole family and everything. Yeah, they're uh, Latinos being depicted and not being like nameless gang members, very few and far yeah. between in nineteen ninety two. Or or not being depicted by non Latinos, which was almost yeah. this film. Do you know who was originally going to star in this? Please say Jack Lemon. <laughs> Jeremy Irons and Ray Liotta. Hell yeah. <laughs> Oh, as far Lord. back as I can remember, I wanted to do the Mambo with Scar. <laughs> <laughs> what the Yeah, fuck? can you picture that movie? No. Oh, please no. don't. Please no, don't. No, I cannot. Yeah, I I mean, it's based on uh, Mambo King's Play Songs of Love, which is a Pulitzer Prize winning novel. And I guess it was like produced and directed by a guy who was like friends with the author and just scooped up the rights and yeah. fought pretty hard being like, no, we're doing this and we're doing this right. You know, it's about Cuban emigres with their band and, and trying to 
break it in like the 50s they only use part of the book which i think is probably a smart move because right. i guess the book covers decades and instead like no let's just take like not quite half this key segment right here is kind of a self-contained story so let's just go with that and in the days before serial television i think that's the way to adapt books your average yeah. book covers so yeah. much more than your average move uh yeah. your average novelette that can be a movie your average book Mm, not really. There's Unless we're talking about different. the other Latino classic, Blood In, Blood Out, Bound by Honor, the two-part movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, and it turns out if this was a massive freaking hit, well, they've got sequel material ready to go. Yeah, yeah. I want to say it was the Selena movie that really like turned that around, like, oh, there's a Latin mm-hmm. audience and we need to start making movies for a Latin audience. They will come yeah. and support this. Because yeah. I'm not sure if that was the case here, I just because I don't remember this at all. Yeah, it, I mean, it got a decent-sized release, and the reviews are really strong. And I, I watched, you know, I watched it uh, a little while ago now, maybe five, six years ago, mm-hmm. and I was like, hell yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, obviously the music's freaking ridiculous. You got Tito Puente and Celia Cruz in there kicking some ass, and I mean, the setting is just gorgeous. You know, like '50s Miami, mm-hmm. yes, and just like the costumes and the setting and the music and the stories. You know, you're pretty basic. Uh, you know, trying to make it in the world ever since I, ever since I was Cuban, I wanted to be in a band. <laughs> I, you know. That tracks. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. All, all the reviews I looked at. Like, you, you, you know the story, but it just hasn't been told with these types of people and this type of struggle before. We have, yeah. we played by these people. We haven't seen that. And the reviews are mostly positive. Yeah. And uh, no, Mambo Kings, I thought it was a real solid watch. And I hadn't even thought about, yeah, there's not a lot of Latino-focused and mainstream entertainment at this time. And I mm-hmm. wish, like, more people had checked this out because I think there's plenty of nostalgia to go around. Come yeah. on. Yeah, and, and, and next we have – I have not to derail mm-hmm. anything, but I, I know I tell the story all the time. I My parents wouldn't allow us to have premium cable channels, so I would, like, love going over to friends' houses and watching stuff on HBO – Uncensored boobies, comedies. I, I loved it, and uh, so whenever we'd have, <laughs> are you excited for this next movie to be uncensored? So I okay. would okay. record every time there'd be a free preview. They, they I, I don't know if they, they don't, they should do this with like Netflix and shit. They used to, you know, like twice a year they'd show like a, a free week or weekend of Showtime or HBO, and I would record every movie I had heard of, and I had heard of this movie, and I record this, and I remember my parents because we only had one TV, they're like. We'll watch Howard's End while you go to bed. Are you sure you want to record this movie? I'm like, yeah, mom. Of course I want to record Howard's End. Uh, and like, fi- I'm fine with watching it. I'm just saying, are you sure you're going to watch it? And in terms of a backlog, this might be there the longest for me. I, as a little kid, <laughs> recorded this movie, and I still didn't watch it for this show. Like, I, I recorded it 30 years ago. It's written in my handwriting on a VHS that I still have, Howard's End. <laughs> very clearly probably after like Aww. honey i blew up the kid and <laughs> oh i was so hopeful that like yes now you finally paid it off you watch that actual videotape no oh with god all of the hbo oh, previews in between oh god da, simply the da, da, best da. <laughs> <laughs> no well, i knew Chris, you'd watch now, it now you're never gonna know if the howard's ends justifies the means what is that? <laughs> oh. prunella skills Say- Gemma Redgrave, Samuel West, James Willoughby, Helena Bonham Carter, Vanessa Redgrave, Emma Thompson, and Anthony Hopkins and Howard's End. Yeah, I mean, the reason you heard of this was because it was super critically acclaimed. Yeah. You know, one of the best films of the year, according to pretty much all of the critics, it got, I don't know, like eight or nine Oscar nominations. It just, it, it kicked everyone's ass and everyone was like, 
okay mm -hmm. from the guys who brought you a room with a view yeah doing more <laughs> em forester merchant ivory just like yeah they became like this big art house thing for years where can, it's you can know, you imagine them making a non-period drama though i know they have really it's just not right it doesn't it doesn't fit it's like no, no you stay in the edwardian period thank you very much yeah anything world war one and beyond just seems wrong yeah. like this is it never what? should have made Anaconda. No. Right. Oh, my God. I would pay so much money. <laughs> so everything. much money. No idea. Still Damn have... it. Why'd you put that in my head? Wait a minute. Hang on. The guy in Howard's End does run a rubber company in the Congo. Uh-oh. Hmm. Does that have anything to do with Anaconda? I'm going to believe you it, if you tell me it does. That... Oh, I think I'm no, it's in South America. It I have no choice. Congo. I, I have no choice, and yeah. I won't check. And <laughs> I, I'm mixing it up with Congo. My bad. But how anyway, Howard's End. Anyway, Howard's End is an incredibly unstuffy, stuffy British drama. It looks like <laughs> it's going to be the most boring, most unrelatable, most unappealing thing in the world. And that's what the Merchant Ivory Company did so well, is they, they make you actually give a shit about what's going on. There's, you know, it's about these like sisters who are sort of like middle class, they don't really have a lot of money to throw around. And then there's like this richer family and this lower class guy that like the middle class sisters kind of befriend. And they find out from like the rich guy that, oh, the company he works for is going to go bankrupt. He should leave that job. And then he does. And it ruins his goddamn life. <laughs> The middle class and upper class people screwing with his life ruin everything in trying to help. They're trying to help and they ruin his life. And I mean, it's obviously very mannered, but then underneath it is this pretty brutal. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not satire, but Take down? Uh, yeah, condemnation of class differences and gender differences, really. The way the women are treated versus the way the men are treated. Who can expect what from society? You know, the upper class people, none of them work. None of them try. None of them ever do shit. They get by fine. The lower class guy, he gets screwed. Mm. Duh. Duh. Even though he's a smart, sensitive guy, who, there's no reason we can't just get a job and work, except that the system is all rigged against him. And in case you're confused, Howard's End is the name of a house. And neither side puts a huge value on Howard's end. You know, Hopkins yeah. is thinking about liquidating it, mm -hmm. and the girl who is uh, given it doesn't really care much about it either. Uh, the mm -hmm. woman who passed away, she cared about it a great, great deal because there's a good deal of ruminating about the importance of permeance like uh, it's talking about how London is not a real place because everything is torn down and built up. But her cottage is there and there's the teeth that got put in generations ago in a tree. And there's a real sense of because this place has permanence, it has value. And then she dies and none of the other characters really care much about it. No, no, except that it's like, well, she's giving away our money. You know, she gives it to someone who's going to appreciate it, Emma Thompson's character, and all of her shitty little relatives are like, but money. And so they, you know, completely ignore their mom's wishes and are a bunch of bastards. And uh, yeah, I mean, the big takeaway on this is Emma Thompson, motherfuckers. She's yeah. here to stay. And she ain't playing. She's, she, in, she's literally in this world to stay for the next 20 years. She will. Yeah, she is, you know... Not none of the parts are very flashy. No one has a well. There's there's speeches and emotional moments, but they're not the gigantic speeches and mo emotional moments you'd expect because this is about stuffy British society. But she is so good in this, and yeah, she wins an Oscar. Damn it! 
It, and... It's also really weird seeing as super young Helen Lebottom Carter. Mm. Yeah. I mean, she is very young in this, and it's like, oh, right, you yeah. were once young. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, and it's... she's great in this too. And it's just like she's she's playing kind of a part that you expect her you, that you could still see her playing thirty years later of being like, yeah, I live in this society, but I'm the only one who knows it's bullshit. Get out of my way. Yeah. They won three Oscars, uh, art, art direction and screenplay, as well as yep. actress. So, yeah, even as a little kid who's only getting into movies, sort of Trojan horse through Wayne's World, uh, <laughs> I'd heard of this, so I knew right. it was worth taping. Yeah, and it's just it's tough because like it is really hard to explain like what it's about because plot wise it just sort of goes here and then it just sort of goes here, but mostly it's about the ways these families sort of interact and you know, but really it's about uh, class the class system in Britain and. Even though it is like everyone's ridiculously heavily covered in clothing and care about propriety all the time, it doesn't feel like super stuffy to me. No, because there's there's so much going on in this film. What is there? Like three weddings, two births, and two deaths? I mean, yeah. stuff does happen in this film. Um, but, you know, they are reserved, very yeah. much so. And I think it's important to remember, you know, the past is a foreign country. They do things mm. differently. And uh, you can always observe the past without necessarily just automatically thinking it's bad or wrong or good if you're being nostalgic for it. It can just be a different country with different ways of doing things. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So yeah, Howard's End. I mean, Howard. I recommend it. I would love if Chris would actually get around to it, but I feel like you, you would say like, it's boring. Oh man, I'm in the middle of a... Uh, there, you know, there's no shootouts in it, which would be pretty shows. funny if there were, and I just didn't tell you. <laughs> I just don't want to see white people looking uncomfortable in 18 layers of clothing in the middle of the summer. I I just don't like it. I don't but know. It's, it's also sort of commenting on that and how dumb it is. Like, it's again it's, it's that trauma that comes from being in a one tv household where like <laughs> masterpiece come theater that, huh? comes on it, it is and like my sister slow ganging up against me and my dad who want to watch mm. the simpsons it's fucking yes this is sort of what it's about uh ne always have more than one tv in your household we should we have... fought the remote wars we and the youngsters <laughs> these days will not know the battle scars my we parents carry to this day. were too cheap for a remote with their first the first two televisions in my life, so I don't even know what that's about. They didn't that's like what kids are for. Oh. Just, uh, go yeah, change good. the channel. Yeah, uh, and then a movie I, I did take the time to reappraise. Um, All right. Even though I it, it it can't be reappraised. <laughs> uh, well, Stephen, I think there's there's stuff like how. Well, we can talk about special effects 30 years yes, ago very, and Steve, how they hold up. Steven Tobolowsky, Michael McKeon, don't get too excited. Those guys are great. Sam Neill, I know it gets even better. Daryl Hannah, don't calm down. Chevy Chase, starring Chevy Chase in one of his possibly best roles, which I say with a huge asterisk, it's John Carpenter's Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Chevy Chase is the Invisible Man, a hero like you've never seen before. Where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. When do I get the Invisible Man? In a movie like you've never seen before. We're the only people that can give you your life back. I can see through my eyelids. I can see through the top of my head. Chevy Chase. Daryl Hannah. Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Rated PG-13. This film does not know what it wants to be. Yeah. Okay. Mm. There, There's some dark 
moments, like when Chevy Chase is holding a gun to a CIA operative's mm-hmm. head and saying, I don't sleep well, I see through my eyelids. Mm-hmm. And then there's this comedic slapstick scene where he's uh, making a drunk guy look like he's barfing. Um, <laughs> that was... Which that was a... I cracked up at the time, and so did my mom. But <laughs> looking at it 30 years later, they, they should have picked a genre. I, I think yeah. this was Chevy Chase wanting to go serious but then that's a, that's... not having the courage to not fall back on fletch yeah mm. and and, and yeah. It, it that's what this was chevy chase got a manuscript from an uncompleted novel memoirs of an invisible man for five years he pushed it through different studios and like demanded to make this no i want to make this my serious film and william coleman the princess bride guy i think he said did like five rewrites before he quit because chevy chase wanted none of the slapstick don't and and, and like right? i remember getting excited in the movie like ooh, chevy chase is about to do something with binoculars or no no he doesn't he narrates it's also that i don't think chevy chase is a man of great taste i think he's a man of money from money and wants money and that explains his whole film career because his movie he makes terrible movie choices seemingly based only on money so what i see from this as the only guy who was shepherding this project for 5 years he hasn't seen a new movie in a very long time this is a very I want to be a 1950s movie with that, mm. which is a very hard boiled narration. I didn't know whether to, I didn't know what to do. And, and like you're narrating things we just saw you do. We, this doesn't need to be here. This kind of narration has not been in movies for 20 years, but yep. he doesn't know that because he's Chevy. He's out of touch. Uh, and it's hard because this is a special effects, high concept comedy drama. Yeah, it's yeah. everything. It's everything. That's- that's everything. That's a lot of movie to have in your It movie. is a, a serious drama with effects from Industrial Light and Magic, released by a major studio, and uh, directed by John Carpenter, who has gone on record calling this his worst movie, his least favorite movie. I hate oh. this movie the most. Well, there's no John Carpenter in it. Yes. There's that's nothing. A... There's not a single shot where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's John. That's his look. No, it's nothing. This was purely a paycheck for him, and it mm-hmm. shows. It was supposed to be Ivan Reitman giving Chevy Chase uh... his... Ghostbusters, uh, his special effects comedy, and continued disagreements meant they moved on. And John Carpenter had abandoned. Sure that was Ivan Reitman's fault, definitely. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I think is so funny because there was just that um, long, long form interview with Chevy Chase where he's like, you know, your co stars and collaborators say you're an asshole. He's like, maybe I am who I am, and I don't give a shit what. Maybe I am, and and like. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I admire that response. It was just like, well, that's validating for my opinions on Chevy Chase. And- could, could there ever be a Wes Anderson transformation for Chevy Chase, you know, where he takes him or someone like Tarantino takes a actor who is past their days no. and bring – no? Couldn't be well, done. I mean, from what I know about Chevy Chase, he comes from money. Yeah. And he's lucked he, – he even – he came he already came for money, and then he lucked into being the biggest movie star in the world for like – Eight to ten years. He doesn't need to do anything. Yeah. And but I mean, what about for artistic fulfillment? He, I he think doesn't it have sounds that. like person I think personality wise, no, there isn't the chance to rehabilitate. Did you him did you read about Kevin Smith trying to get Fletch, like his Fletch through? And like everyone was excited and Jason Lee's gonna play Fletch. This is like, you know, ninety ninety nine, something like that. And uh yeah, everything like everything's going together until you talk to Chevy Chase. And he and Kevin Smith, being who he is, like biggest asshole I've ever met in my life. And it was it, this was kind of contingent of him at least showing up for a cameo and passing the torch somehow, and just like oh, had wanted I way too much input. Do that, doesn't care, like doesn't. And, and the stories of this 
are only made more fascinating. John Carpenter was like, he ruined takes constantly because he didn't like the blue screen chroma key makeup, the contact lenses, because there's some really still great effects in this film, by the way. Yeah, that was yeah. shocking to me. And it it's, like, it's... Yeah, the tone is all over the place. There's a couple jokes that are good mm -hmm. that they didn't need to keep going with. I mean, the idea that as you're chewing your food, obviously you can see it if yes. you're see-through and you yeah. can see it's being swallowed and digested. He, That's a good joke. There's, <laughs> But there's also like a serious approach, a non-comic booky approach to being invisible where he even's like, I need to get some clear food because this is A, too gross, and B, it evaporates in my stomach somehow and I can't digest no, comfortably. No, no, I think it was pure grossness. I think he just mm. uh, he he, didn't want to see his food being digested and he didn't want to be not invisible by having a yes, giant he, walking he, tub of fried chicken. Because he would be digesting in public. in front of people's eyes. Yes, and, 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 and like all those confrontations are, are great. And there's some, that's what's great about the, the film is that it is like a pretty wonderful measure of a, a melding of practical effects and yeah. CG because they're it's it's him very early season, colored in blue and... with like a, a sweatband around his forehead but the a computer would have to create the rest of it you couldn't see so there is a in-camera double and there's CG happening so it they it's goddamn the effects still look okay they yeah, forget yeah. to do effects for what feels like an hour in this film when they're at the beach but <laughs> and I'm like ooh this movie sucks ass Reitman is on record as saying this was the first thing he read since Ghostbusters that mm -hmm. had Ghostbusters potential. Yeah. So I would have really liked to have seen that. Yeah, there's there's, there's not know? quite enough effects for an effects film. And it, mm -hmm. like again, there's like half an hour where it's just this love story between Dar him and Daryl Hannah, which is just thoroughly unbelievable. But, okay, it's Chevy Chase being a dick, and John Carpenter complained like in a couple of interviews, he would just rip his makeup off and like ruin hours of filming because he, oh, he didn't sure. like the way it felt. And I, I feel it sucks having makeup on. I get it. But like there are hundreds of people around you, depending on this going well. And he's like, and he knew he couldn't be punished and he would just continuously ruin days of filming all the time, both him and Daryl Hannah and for this major special effects film. So what I did is I went and looked up the HBO first look of oh, the behind I the scenes those. of this and people are laughing. But Chevy Chase is doing not only nothing but complaining. Every joke is about firing the person touching him. Every single joke. <laughs> and ha, ha Chevy, that's ha. That's the footage they kept. That's the footage right. they kept. That's the, it, like, it's all the behind the scenes footage is him being painted black. This movie does have some brown face in it. <laughs> is it excusable? Because there's a re at least a reason for it. Beyond He's invisible. <laughs> he's, he's invisible. Yeah, like the idea that like he had to put in eye, eyeball-sized blue contact lenses Oof. and then color his teeth Ooh. a blue for the I think like days at a time in order to like make chroma key out his teeth and eyes. Even when Daryl Hannah is the great idea, I will put like a pancake sized pound of makeup on your face to make you not invisible. There's tons of nods to the Invisible Man, but it's like just like the recent Invisible Man movie, it's doesn't take anything from that really. I, I love that movie. I don't love this movie. I wonder if all the footage from the HBO first look that they didn't use is sitting in a vault somewhere, mm. and we could get a Jim and Andy, Jim and Andy version documentary <laughs> on Chevy Chase being the biggest asshole in the universe. That would that would that would require someone to care enough about Chevy Chase, and I think he's True. just like alienated. He's alienated the generation who would like him with terrible films. His fall. I think really began with this film because it was yeah. not a success. And you know, you were right. He was a biggest, big star. Yeah, the bankable movie star at this point. And years and years. Mm -hmm. But after this film, 
His next big film is Cops and Robinson. That's the and that's oh. the one where like, oh, we don't need this guy at all anymore. Yep. He can make vacation movies or he can fuck off. And after that, he's Man of the House, where he's second <laughs> fiddle to uh, JTT. JTT. Oh, I was gonna say, wait, wasn't his previous movie Fletch Lives? But no, I think it was Christmas Vacation. Yeah, I think Fletch Lives yeah. was before that. So and that's the... he'd obviously bounced right back up. <laughs> the thing and, is, goddamn, Chevy Chase characters have no arc. And, you know, his character in this film starts high status. And then at the end of the film, he's still high status without really learning anything. Yep. What did his character learn from this ordeal? How did he grow? Apparently, apparently, because there's it's not very well written in the beginning. It's like, what a perfect man to be invisible man. No friends, no family, not close to anybody. Didn't make a didn't kick up dust. Didn't make didn't didn't really show off or stick out. Perfect man to be invisible that he was invisible already. By choice, he disappeared so from meetings. A, a visual medium, and what yeah. we see of Chevy Chase's character is he's big at his job. He goes to his club and he hangs out there with other people. Yep, he's not even remotely yep. invisible in that sense. There's that, that one the scene where they, they tell you he doesn't really live a rich life of any kind. Right. He might as well Great be invisible. Film advice: talk, don't show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, ILM was doing all the showing, so the script had to do the rest of the work. Uh, yeah. I do want to give one final shout out to this film. Mm -hmm. uh, the score was Great. done by Shirley Walker, but yeah, not scored by John Carpenter, which is something yeah. he does in almost he every movie. Didn't care. He this didn't care. He was. He, he was. I love him talking. He's in a Hollywood Reporter Q&A where he, what do you think of the new Halloweens? Like, um, people like them. And I love that check that shows up. I really do. <laughs> I really do. Very, very honest about it. Love John Carpenter. But this is the least John Carpenter movie I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And he claims to have been miserable in that HBO First Look, which is on YouTube, behind the scenes of The Invisible Man, Memoirs of the Invisible Man. Again, you're, you're not getting like, let it be type shit on camera. But like <laughs> now that I know this, you're like looking at, you're looking at it and like, yeah, Chevy Chase clearly does not like this. And you can see him trying to wipe off makeup being delivered by three people for a scene that very much requires it. Chevy stop. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, moving on to God, if you thought that was craptastic, we got to get to TV real fast. TV is crap. Wonderfully craptastic. Can we get through the Grammys real quick? Hosted by yeah. Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, we can because uh, Unforgettable and Natalie Cole with her dead dad uh, <laughs> wins pretty much everything. Yeah. It wins all the big stuff except for Best New Artist, which is Mark Cohn, the Walking in Memphis guy. Walking in Memphis. Oh, nice. Um, but he beat Boys <laughs> to Men and Seal. What? Yeah, and CNC Music Factory and Color Me Bad what? for Best New Artist. No, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Unacceptable. And I'm... Yeah, well, I would say that was unacceptable until the Staten Island video like a couple weeks ago. So Okay, and, and yeah. then... Yeah, Walking in Staten was outstanding, so shut up. And then, <laughs> and then we have A Woman Scorned, The Betty Broderick Story with Meredith, ba Meredith Baxter, no Bernie, and Stephen Collins. We're past Bernie. We're, past, we're, yeah. post, we're in a post-Bernie era. Right, so we're, this is, a 92. A, you know, a good old trashy made-for-TV based on a true story movie about a woman who is accused of killing her ex-husband and his new wife. This was so popular, it got a sequel. Wow. I literally can't well, uh, think, I whoa. need to go do a deep dive on TV movies, TV movies based on sequels. true stories that got a sequel. Yeah, because that would require her to have done something like this again or just completely <laughs> make something up. And... Yeah, or we'll just... <laughs> 
it's just going to be about the trial, and that's not going to be very interesting because you probably already cover some of that in A Woman's Court. Or the lighthearted one. She gets out of prison, a single woman. Has to go back to her hometown and meet a man. Yeah. No, she's still in prison, though. Uh, oh. <laughs> so... <laughs> she has to meet a man in prison. In prison. You know, the warden's looking pretty eligible. Uh, yeah. Can we We need to talk about, though, instead, what the fuck were they were smoking over a CBS? Okay, okay. I want to clear out everything else, because all I want to talk about are these two. But we also okay. have uh, The Boys of Twilight. They, that debuts on TBS, or CBS, on the 29th. Uh, this is old folks being police officers uh, like on horses that type of sheriff and uh, yuppies move into their town oh yeah I saw that it was Richard Farnsworth and Wilford Brimley and I was like all happy (laughs) and then to find out oh what they have yuppie neighbors now what the crap well that don't sit right with me does it (sighs) god there's few things I love more than Wilford Brimley and a horse please look up that hard target gif it is adorable it looks like (laughs) Winnie the Pooh on a fucking horse with a walrus mustache (laughs) called the boys of twilights because it's set in twilight Utah I know it it's 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 the most porny sounding movie title we've had on the show since Howard's End (laughs) (laughs) full moon over Miami it's a crossover. It's, it's a, a crossover. crossover. Right. What is this? A crossover? It's a three-way though. Yeah. I mean, oh. haven't you always wanted to see a three-way with the Golden Girls, Empty Nest, and Nurses? It's yeah. uh, no. Set but... during a fictional full moon on Leap Day, and all the stories vaguely, kind of, sort of, tiny bit touch each other without affecting each other in the slightest. And I, I didn't uh, the MCU. This is not. I didn't bother looking, but those are all, the Empty Nest and nurses are all golden girls spin off. Yeah. They are all yeah. characters from Golden Girls and on nurses, the nurses are frequently visited by characters from Empty Nest and Golden Girls. Cuz mm-hmm. nurses for some reason we would go stay at the beach and there's like only like two fuzzy cable channels and it, during the day it was just like 3 hours of nurses. I watched a ton of nurses uh <laughs> for some reason at Mexico Beach, Florida uh, as a kid. But it's. I think that's just about to get canceled. So it's probably in an effort to save nurses. Okay, even more to get out of the way. Hot Country Nights and James Bond Jr. Sorry, kids. It is canceled. Uh, Hot Country Nights tried to be a hip version of Hee Haw, where mm. they had hot country bands and then the finest comedians. Tim Allen was on it. Um, he's probably their biggest name. Uh, James John- Bond Jr., you know, this came out when the Cold War was over, and it's not James Bond. It's actually his nephew. nephew. And Bond is an orphan with no siblings. Yeah. So but has an uncle. There's, you know, kid versions of everyone. There's a kid called IQ, who is like the nephew of Q. Uh, and they fight scum no one can stop him but scum always tries but young bond cuts through their web of lies he learned the game from his uncle james now he's heir to the name james bond james bond but Jr. even as a kid would you have really wanted james bond's nephew instead of just a cartoon about james bond it's, i mean the only time that's really stated is in the intro which is every episode mm. but the show tries to make you forget that i watch this every day and I had never seen a James Bond movie. So okay. somebody succeeded. In, but, you know, I was a kid. I didn't have a lot of choices. So what else was I going to watch? It was the 90s. They regularly made cartoons for kids based on our yep. properties. One, yeah. 100 episodes of Robocop. them, too. So last yeah. uh, an entire syndicated year or two. Yeah. So moving back what we have titled The Greatest Night in Television History. <laughs> Suck it, Adam Scott. Goddamn. This is, yeah. this is incredible because... 
February 28th, a CBS debut of a little show you've never heard of called Scorch. <laughs> and Scorch is fascinating, has no DVD release, because Scorch is a small 1,300-year-old thir- <laughs> dragon who awakens from a 100-year sleep. He is also a puppet. He is a magical dragon, pig- figment-looking, elf-sized puppet in this last three episodes. Right. But they filmed six so somewhere out there, there are unaired episodes of Scorch that the public is demanding to be released as a Criterion collection. Please. It is yeah. so if if you are like a large cat sized dragon and you awaken <laughs> in the year 1992, what are you gonna do? You're right. Everyone in the audience just screamed at the same thing. Become a weatherman on a TV station. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Disguise yourself as a ventriloquist dummy so you can sneak on TV and be totally rad. And this movie—it's oh, and it's also weird because the whole conceit is like whenever he's sitting there, he freezes like a mannequin, and everyone's like, "That is such a detailed puppet." And the audience is like, "No, it really is not." A detailed puppet. <laughs> That's part of the reason why this show is canceled. But it, it, it does have to be seen to believe if you want to see what horrible entertainment we were subjected to oh, in the. And I, this is the very late '80s, the early '90s. And I just maybe this is kind of a JR question, but like other than Alf, what shows centered around puppets have succeeded since Alf? Even the Muppets I was, have I was a rough time. Bring up. Alf that a hundred percent I know the guys making this were like, well, Alf was a hit with an alien. Let's yeah. just do that with fantasy. What's the, a big they're fantasy probably thing? looking at Dragon. Alf Alf as in syndication after four, being kind of unjustly canceled after four seasons. Like, we could have our own Alf. We could have the syndication money. Fuck what the critics say. We'll make our own puppet show. And it never works. From Greg the Bunny to Kermit the Frog, like those shows are always canceled. Kermit has not been able to get a show as it say on the air for a full twenty episodes. Since the Muppet Show, Chris, would you accept dinosaurs as a puppet television show? No, uh, I think technically it is. No, I would not. Okay, no, because that's it's, one. It's people in suits. Because yeah. what we're talking about is like even the Muppets sort of shouldn't count. But like we're basically talking like Alf ripoffs, a show that really worked and never worked again in any format. Even with Alf, yeah. <laughs> even with right. Alf, it even doesn't work. Alf didn't work as an Alf show. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. The difference is there are one or two or maybe five characters that are puppets, but they're interacting with regular people. Yes, and and we're talking not kids shows either, because obviously there's tons of puppets working on television. Fun fact: I I never get tired of pointing out. Look up the first season of Fox and Friends. There's a puppet on there. All the time. It's a big... <laughs> there is a puppet on Fox and Friends. Is it a fox? No, it's a. I think it's like a giant dragon. It's. Yeah. It used to be on Fox yeah. the Network before it got shot over to Fox News, and one of the co-hosts was a fucking puppet. It, <laughs> I kid you then not. Puppet Dragon had a big sex scandal and had to uh, <laughs> resign in disgrace. The important thing about Scorch is, Scorch. does it have John O'Hurley on it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does, Elaine. <laughs> yes, Jay Peterman it is has... the second lead. And... I watched this whole episode kind of with my mouth agape at like, why? how does this exist? How does this exist? This isn't very good. These jokes are fucking terrible. And then I believe JR has highlighted one. This is a little sexual for children in the 90s. Is it not? Uh, That's my opinion. I wanted yours on it. What is that stuff? (gasps) Lilacs? You know, to a dragon, lilacs are an aphrodisiac. It's amazing. Your friend here looks incredibly real. He does, doesn't he? (laughs) So, do you ever date out of your species? Sort of. I went out with a lawyer once. Huh. Well, what do you...
you say we all go to my place for a game of Spin the Lizard? That sounded grotesque. Oh, that's <laughs> insane. I, I really feel like sex Spin the jokes Lizard were more allowed in children's or children-esque entertainment in the 1990s than today because yeah. we get a bestiality joke. The <laughs> dragon clearly wants to fuck the human woman. That's not subtext. That's text. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> and and then a pretty dirty joke that, you know, if you said in the workplace today, I'm pretty sure you'd have to attend some mandatory stuff. Unless you're saying it through a puppet, then you have plausible deniability. I'm but sorry. He was sentient and he came to life. I didn't harass that woman. <laughs> I just... You know, we're going to talk about another debut in a second. And the th the idea that this is the lead-in. This is the yes. 8 p.m. slot. This is... Do you think there was discussions? Uh, CBS executives making millions of dollars in 1992 money per year had to talk to each other. Okay, which of these guaranteed hits is going to lead the other? Because it's going to be synergy, baby. They're going to feed off of each other. But which is our star one? Yeah. And... I I think there's huge sweaty energy coming in. But the, here's the thing. The age I was, if I knew this was happening, I didn't see Scorch when it came out. I won't pretend to know about Scorch until JR told me about it last week. But now I'm obsessed. But if I'd have known about it then, I would have watched, especially with the other show that was coming on. I would have been well, super excited. This, this is Friday night. It, this is up against Family Matters. Yeah. This yeah. is what they're putting up against TGIF. Following Scorch as if anything could. It's... I'm a big fan of animation, and there simply wasn't a lot here, so this was fun to read about for almost a year, and then it became a punchline for the next few years, because <laughs> Fish Police debuts on CBS, and with the same kind of, with the same kind of narration that Memoirs of an Invisible Man has, that like, have you watched yeah. anything in 30 or 40 years? Oh my god. Uh, but yet another Hanna-Barbera produced uh, animated program in but in prime time and set for adults, and unlike Capital Critters, I think this pulls fewer punches. It is dirtier and grimier and casts more recognizable celebrity voices than Capital Critters, which had like a stable of dependable cartoon voice actors. This is like Hector Elizondo and uh, Buddy Hackett and John Ritter as the main character. Like it, it feels like this is more made for late night. And it's also a seedy detective story with like prostitutes and pimps and gambling and drink. There's a drunk character in the intro. All things that Capital Critters didn't le like put their, for their foot forward with. They really wanted yeah. to have it both ways. Capital C Critters only started out with the gassing of a family. <laughs> but Capital, Capital Critters <laughs> ran on, um, on Cartoon Network every day. I have never seen this. I had to like wait to see Fish Police because there are only six episodes. Uh, again, like not unlike Scorch, only three air. Eventually it sees the light of day. I think via Europe. Um, they, they they burned off the episodes in syndication throughout Europe. But it's Fish Police. There, it's based on a comic that people love because yeah. it was visually interesting. There's a lot of SpongeBob vibes to this. There really is. <laughs> Fish and people clothing. If you think that's that looks cool to the eye, it's because it does. And it looks cool here. But uh, I was just reading from people who liked the comic. Like, they really threw away all the grittiness of the comic to make fish puns. Wall-to-wall -wall fish puns. I counted. The first minute, the first 60 seconds of this cartoon, Oh God! four fish puns. Yep. So that's one every 15 seconds, and that's oh what you're leading with. You're like, people are coming to us for fish puns. We have to deliver people right <laughs> out the bat. This whole place is a melting pot or a booyah base. Like, Jesus, dude, this sucks. And JR, this never happens. We're highlighting... 
10 seconds from this the first episode, and we both chose the exact 10 seconds. <laughs> it is where the femme fatale character is being arrested in a flashback. Is, am I remembering this correctly? And she harkens back to, I think, what her character design is supposed to harken back to with the worst line of the entire episode. Gil, I'm not bad. I just smell that way. <laughs> Get it? There was a lot smells. of stinky fish jokes back in the that. day. And that, that also implies something way grosser than CBS, I think, is ready to deal with. And so yes, <laughs> I wish they hadn't have made that joke. That as well. The but, other thing this TV show has to offer besides fish puns is fish tits. Yeah. There Woo! are some decent, before deviant art, if you were into fish with big mammary glands, <laughs> I don't know where you would go besides fish police because there are a couple of scenes there where the animators were definitely having a lot of fun. <laughs> And again, it's a Hanna-Barbera production, but it doesn't feel like one. It's not very well animated, but it's visually way more interesting than Capital Critters. And of the three primetime animated shows that would take a stab at The Simpsons, it might be my favorite. Because nothing beats the family dog pilot on Amazing Stories. That thing is amazing. But the show is not. Fish Police... You might get the best bang for your buck out of it. It really did make me think, because like The Simpsons comes out, it's this huge phenomenon. Every network takes a stab at it. Fish Police, Family Dog, and Capital Critters. What are the animated sitcoms we have today on network television? Think about on the biggest the biggest successes yeah. we have. King of the okay. Hill, Family yeah. Guy, Bob's Burgers, The Simpsons. Human Family, <laughs> Semi-Realistic Trials and Tribulations. Human Family, Semi-Realistic Trials and Tribulations. Human Family... Regular trials and semi-regular trials and tribulations. That's what ended up surviving. So I wonder if like all those network notes, like you need a family or kids, like maybe he's right. Maybe they've all been right this entire time because the only animated sitcoms that stuck around involve a human family. None of the ones that chose to go wacky and crazy and high concept ever worked. Never. Looking at you, Pride of the Family or whatever that expensive Siegfried and Roy Lion CG show for NBC was. (laughs) I just want to underline, we, there are four shows on the CBS lineup for Friday night right here in 1992. Yeah. The longest running one of them went 12 episodes. <laughs> and it's Tequila and Benetti, the talking <laughs> show. Uh, that kind of the uh, 9 to 10 slot. The 10 to 11 <laughs> slot is something called Hearts Are Wild, which is about goings on at Caesar's Palace. That was created by Eric Roth, who wrote Forrest Gump, the screenplay, and Dune, the recent one. (laughs) What? That's the same guy. I did not know he created a TV show that went seven whole episodes. I'm more flabbergasted the same guy wrote Forrest Gump, wrote the new Dune? Yep. What's he been doing this whole time? He's good at adaptations. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, and then and then we move on to video games really quick. We got to be really quick about this. MC Kids is out. A surprisingly good, but how is this legal? McDonald's <laughs> children's game. It has no right to be as good as it is. It's um, pretty weird. The vast majority of NES games I play that I have no nostalgia for, I can't stand. But this is solid. That's uh, not bad. If you did a palette swap, you could make this a good sequel to Mario Two. Ooh, good. Because one. instead of jumping on enemies, if you jump on them, you die. You have to throw blocks at them. There's a bunch of puzzles. You go around finding cards, and if you get enough cards, you get to unlock the thing, but you can do the levels in any order you want. It's 
out of all the McDonald's video games ever made, I'd say this has got to be the best. There still is a, a treasure developed one out there somewhere. I forget which one that one is. But that that might you want to talk about most the most visible games. I think the game available on most platforms might be California games. Oh yeah, cool. this was ported to. 14 different 14 systems. Different systems. Oh my God. I don't know if I can name 14 systems. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I did learn that their original horny programmers for this game had the roller skating girl be nude and get bloody when she fell. No. Yeah, they changed it before release. So good call on that front. Naughty boys. We also have Paperboy on Genesis. I wish I would have looked more into that because there have been several Genesis ports of like 10-year-old arcade games that are excellent and include extra yep. features that don't exist in arca- the arcade no, versions. No, no real extra fe- features, but it's an excellent arcade port. Yeah. And Rolling Thunder 2 is also on Genesis is out this week. And is Sandman concludes this week on comics? And... No, this is the, in oh, the comics, Sandman number 37, which is the conclusion of A Game of You. This, to me, is Sandman, one of the most important comics in the last 40 years. It really brought forth an independent comic scene that we see today. Music of 1992, February 25th through March 3rd. Some stuff you will recognize, for real. Vulgar Display of Power by Pantera. Oh, yeah. The End of Silence by the Rollins Band. F You Don't Take It Personal by Fushnickens. <laughs> Love saying Fushnickens, and I don't know them from anywhere, but that collaboration they did on Shaq Diesel. Sex and Violence by Boogie Down Productions. Uh-oh by David Byrne, which has one of Diana's favorite album covers of all time. This album cover is spectacular. Is it? I don't even want to ruin it for you. I want everyone to go Google it right now. Okay. Uh-oh, David Byrne. I'll let you know what I think in the next break. And then TLC's debut. Ooh, on the TLC tip. Gross. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember that's the title of the album and is covered in condoms. So, like... <laughs> Minor oh, controversy. People back were then. shocked. Yeah. Oh my God. She's got a condom taped to her sunglasses. What? what, oh, what? No. And her strawberry yeah. shortcake pad is backwards. What's going on here? Oh my goodness. My word. But let's close out to be with you by Mr. Big because it's number one. And I hope none of you have to watch your friend sing this to his new wife on their wedding day. Because I once did. And now it makes me tingle and cringe every time I hear it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we will be right back with more 302010. Don't go away. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. 
Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. Come away with me in the night. Come away with me and I will ride you. Coming in 2002 with Come Away With Me might as well be the theme of this episode, but it's the title track off the debut of Nora Jones. Come Away With Us on a journey of 302010, where we talk briefly about Nora Jones as well. Nora Jones. Did you know that Ravi Shankar is her dad? No. What? I did not know that. Really? Her dad is Ravi Shankar. I actually, up until clicking on this link and watching this music video, uh, I thought she was black. Um, but <laughs> but you can't be an expert at everything on 302010. Just I've never seen a Nora Jones video. New releases for 2002, February 20th, 25th through the March 3rd. We got Full Moon by Brandy. Songs by Regina Spector. Walking with Thee by Clinic. Uh, Under Rug Swept by Alanis Morissette. Gore Obsessed by Cannibal Corpse. Uh, what to buy this week? Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> lucky. <laughs> which one opens for which on the tour? Yeah, Gosh. I know. I will just we'll just <laughs> rock paper scissor it every night. Lucky seven. <laughs> the Reverend Horton Heat. Source tags and codes by uh, and you will know us by the Trail of the Dead and uh, Watermelon Chicken and Grits, <laughs> the debut of the Nappy Roots and Always on Time by Ja Rule featuring Ashanti. It's still number one after last week. Was it last week? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I want to see how much we remember about this saga, a little bit of news, and show you perhaps again how far we've come. Rosie O'Donnell comes out, and yeah. just as her talk show is ending, yeah, and I think it was very popular for a while. There. It was and hugely it was really popular, fun. and I don't it really was definitely the Ellen before Ellen of like no. light, fun daytime talk oh, show. Oh, I'm sorry. This, you know, the Ellen but... Ellen came out. You know when her sit, you could say when her sitcom ratings were flagging. Mm-hmm. And she received some of that criticism too. I don't really like it because I, because I, casually was a part of the audience that wanted somebody to come out as well. I'm not going to take the high road here because we just didn't see that happen very often, where people demand people confirm aspects of their private life. But that was happening to Rosie O'Donnell for about ten fucking years. And I remember people mad, like, "Look at her pretending to like Tom Cruise like a straight," and like. What are we doing? This is ridiculous. Poor Rosie O'Donnell. Let her do. Let her be who she wants. She's very a very entertaining person. Still very much like Rosie O'Donnell. I don't understand people's and former president's dislike of her. <laughs> well, I, I have a dislike of her. Her oh. tendency to say something stupid and then say it even louder when <laughs> confronted. Okay. You know, there was the whole talking about the time Danny DeVito came on drunk was on the view when she was there. Mm -hmm. And then talking about it later of like, it was even on Chinese news. And then she imitated Chinese language in an incredibly offensive way. And then people are like, hey, don't do that. She's like, why? Why? I do it on a comedy. It was funny. I do it on a comedy club stage every evening. Honey, when people correct you, say, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. It's... I think uh, we're studying the history of things like that. The View offers an interesting template because Whoopi Goldberg continues to struggle because she's a comedian who prioritizes comedy, but it's also to a big, way bigger audience than any stand-up show will ever have uh, in the fucking morning. So, like, 
watching comedians struggle with that format is interesting more than it should be finger wa- finger waggy. I think. But well, Rosie O'Donnell, well, you know, sometimes look, it's hard to just have a hot take on everything. Right. Right. You know, Some... and, and to think out your thought and, and say it clearly. I, yeah. I was glad she finally freaking came out because I, I'm glad when anyone comes out. It's just like, dude, it's so not worth it to just pretend and hide. I, it's just why. I it feel seems like, like such an just agonizing experience. I feel like she had to be happy. She is like her trade is stand up and mm-hmm. you have to do a bunch of jokes where you can't talk about your life. And then after she comes out, mm. like. We know details about her life now. We know she's excited to have a child with her partner. And these are good things to know and be able to share as an entertainer and not have to worry about things. She adopted some kids before she came out. I think so, yes. So that had to be really delicate to talk about her kids. Yes. Um, Yeah. It just just raised more questions that I think most people knew the answer to, but demanded confirmation. And that's why I feel disgusted with myself for being part of this gazy weird say it rosie say it admit it <laughs> which you know i was there i definitely wasn't on the rosie o'donnell message boards or news groups in 2002 <laughs> demanding that but i did want to know and i feel icky about it now there's still that vibe people have around tom cruise i think yeah yep. yeah yeah and they won't accept anything else as if it matters anymore let the short last movie star do what he wants and let's all make fun of like sarah said talk more about his one big tooth in the middle of his face it's it's (laughs) hilarious the mono tooth it's wonderful and then on 2002 let's talk about some movies here because boy are they almost interesting um (laughs) one of them one of them gets an oscar but uh it's not big bad love Starring no. Arliss from the HBO show. No, Arliss Howard, Deborah Winger, and Paul Lamette. Yeah, this is the first time of several that Vietnam will come up right here. Um, mm. It sounds like it's kind of a Southern Gothic about like a writer dealing with alcoholism and like his Vietnam War buddy encouraging him and barely got released. And sounds like it's okay, but he hasn't really directed much else. Arliss Howard is a total hey, it's that guy though. Mm-hmm. You've seen him in a million places, even if you're not sure what who I'm talking about. Famous sports agent for nine seasons. I'm going to make that joke again in case it didn't work the first time. All right. So I don't like the order we're going to be talking about these (laughs) now, but I try to go with the order of basically who gets released and how how much money they make. We we try to go from smallest film to biggest film. Yeah, the one you're most likely to have seen this week rather than next year when the Oscars happen. Right. And this one is still a 2001 movie. Wow. It's a holdover, but we, we got to talk about it. Oh, is that because she won? Up. Okay. She wins the Oscar in like a month. Yeah. Okay. Not even. Not even a, Not month. Even a month. Yeah. Pe- Monsters Ball starring Peter Billy Bob Boyle. Thornton, Peter Boyle, Heath Sean Ledger, Combs. and Halle Berry, the first and so far only black woman to win Best Actress. That is fucking insane. Wow. Yeah. And... Uh, I wanted to go back and watch this, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a hard watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah not I fun. never saw it. So I did watch it. Mm-hmm. And this is a rough, rough watch. It kind of felt like the filmmakers were giving themselves a challenge. Let's see if we can make Halle Berry get naked, mm-hmm. have a incredibly intense love scene and have the audience cringe during it because <laughs> yeah. who boy uh, this is not a pleasant watch. Make me feel good, Jr. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it really <laughs> kind of makes me think of when I was talking about um, was it the Fastbender movie? Shame. <laughs> I was just like, yeah. Oh no, please don't have another sex scene. No, I don't want to see your dick. This makes me sad. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, kind of the same thing of like, Halle Berry, stop. Yeah, it, it was because she is in a very, very bad psychological state. Um, I'll tell the plot because her husband was executed mm -hmm. and then her son was killed in a hit and run. And the man who helps her get him to the hospital is the man who executed her husband. Yes. And then she begins to fall in love with him as her life crumbles apart. And this grieving widow who lost her child is kicked out of her home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, her character goes through more than damn near any character, except maybe Precious, who, guess mm -hmm. what? This is produced by Lee Daniels, his first, wow. first movie he produced. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, Billy Bob Thornton stars as a prison guard along with his son, played by Heath Ledger. Mm -hmm. And also their, his dad, played by Peter Boyle, they all lived together and they were all prison current guard. or former prison guards. Yeah. Peter Boyle is one of the biggest pieces of shit in film history yeah. without actually like murdering anyone on screen. Mm -hmm. He is so toxic and this toxicity has just seeped through this whole family. Oh man, they're just it's, all such broken people. It's a triumph when his son kicks his very, very sick father on a oxygen mask out of his house. That's yeah. like <laughs> the most uplifting part of this film. I forget, we gotta have a term for it. These Oscar movies were like, Jesus Christ, I feel like I went on a journey and I'm genuinely moved and I will never subject myself to this film ever again. Or, or yeah. It's almost difficult to recommend. One and done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it really is like, wow, that was really moving. Please don't make me think about that again. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, uh, yeah, Peter Boyle is just so despicable and you feel so bad for... You feel bad for Billy Bob's character. You feel worse for his son Heath Ledger's character. This was the movie I always pointed when people are like, Heath Ledger can't play the Joker. I'm like, you did not see Monster's Ball. Mm -hmm. Even more than Brokeback Mountain because he's so restrained in that movie. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all underneath the surface. And this one, you can you see all the different layers and all the torment this character is going through. And it's, he is fantastic in this. Also, Sean Combs. Yeah. What the hell? Puff is a really yeah, it's, it's, it might be one of his best movie roles. Yeah. I, I think he, I've seen him in stuff where he is not great or ill-prepared, but like, seems like he did some work here. It's pretty. He, he really, it seems like he's digging deep and mm -hmm. he, he does a really good job with a pretty small part. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and Halle Berry is just this raw fucking nerve the whole time. It's like, and she does bad things and you don't like how she's treating her son. And, you know, she obviously just has tons of fucking problems. And they just get worse and worse and worse. And there's some criticism of the movie of like, is is their relationship in any way actually good for her? Yeah. It it kind of seems like it's better for him. Be like, isn't this kind of a patronizing I, situation? I didn't take it when I watched it that the movie was saying this is a good relationship. Mm -hmm. That's why yeah. I was cringing during the love scene. It mm -hmm. wasn't like, oh, these are two people who have found each other. I was right. cringing because it was like, Halle Berry, you are engaging in a horrible path that you should not go down. This is yeah. not end well for you. And you've already gone through so much. Stop, 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 stop. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, and at the end, it's like, are they going to be able to build life together? Of you know, where they're like on equal footing? No, this isn't lasting. No. no, but it's something, I guess. But yeah, I, the the I, it's like I have to recommend it. I feel like a dick if I don't recommend it. Mm -hmm. You know, but 
yeah, not, not a fun watch for the whole family. Just an incredibly, just a ton of incredibly layered performances that are really moving. Another movie. Monsters Ball. Another movie I didn't watch, but have an interesting story that occurred to me this week. I was cleaning oh my room and cleaning out underneath my dresser and found something an ex-girlfriend left, a standard definition copy from 20 years ago, vanilla DVD of 40 Days and 40 Nights. So not only did I not watch it, I had kind of... The quintessential access to it, it turned out. <laughs> it, it should have reminded me to go back and watch. I, 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 I think I watched a torrent of it a long time ago, back in the Kaza mm. days. Griffin Dunn, Vanessa Shaw, Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, Paulo Costanzo, Cheyenne Sossaman. Yeah, let's say Shannon. that. Shannon. Shannon Sossaman and uh, Josh Hartnett. 40 days and 40, 40 nights. On March 1st. It goes against science. You want to be the guy who goes against science? It begins. Oh, God. The greatest challenge the world will ever witness. No! No sex for 40 days. You won't last a week. You think you can go 40 days? I might go the distance. I like this. How long could you last? You could slam that door in my face if you want, but I'll just be on the other side even hotter. 40 days and 40 nights. Slam it! I meant 30 days of night. Um, uh, I did I actually see, thought I, we were going to watch that. I did see this. 40 days and 40 nights. I and I went, wait, there's no zombies. <laughs> I mean, vampires. I, we got a 28 days, 28 days later situation going on, don't we? Uh, 28 uh, days later. Yeah, all back, bet, it should be all backed up. Sorry, Josh Hart. I would bet money that someone saw American Pie. And had the bright idea of what if we have a raunchy sex comedy where the goal is to not have sex. Yes. Mm. And this is what we get. And it is yep. not good. Um, no. When I was young, I got my hands on a penthouse comic in which young Captain Adventure has to not have sex for comic book reasons. And in that comic <laughs> book, he attends the 69th biannual Nymphomaniacs convention. Oh, no. Talk about that temptation. comic had better characters and more realistic <laughs> drama than this film. This is a film where the humans are not humans, but mm -hmm. aliens who do not act like anyone. The entire drama, if you want to use that false word of this film, could be solved in 30 seconds if the guy just told the woman, I'm giving up sex for 40 days for yeah. Boom. Call me in March. It'll be great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, also, and also, the thing I can't wrap my head around is the enormous hang-up we have as a culture around masturbation in the previews on the poster it's like he gives up sex for 40 days and 40 nights in the movie it includes masturbation but there's no right. comedy in that and you can't say that out loud but you can say sex which is weird because not having sex for 40 days while you can still masturbate i assure you is nothing <laughs> uh ask a married couple like ask <laughs> ask me like I like uh, during ask anyone during the pandemic anybody can go forty days without sex but without yeah. masturbation yeah. Any, no anything no porn yes uh, th there was a study called the great porn off which had a bunch of <laughs> young young men who had to abstain from porn for I think a month and practically all of them said it was very difficult to do uh, so you could have made a real human movie with real humans in this film but that is not what we get yeah. we get a no, film that ends on male rape and yeah. everyone is very chill with it they think that's funny it's well, funny that he was uh, he was unconscious and she attacked him yeah yep. that's funny yeah it's also fine because she's hot oh I mean, she's hot right yeah. so yeah. it's funny yeah i mean just the idea like 
okay, I'm not a guy like to go 40 days without any sort of sex whatsoever. But the whole movie kicks off because he's talking to his brother who's studying to become a priest who should know exactly how easy yes. or hard it is. Yes. yes? Uh, abstinence, my son, should see if he can go 50 days, 50 yeah. years. But... And then the rest of the movie is about like his entire workplace gets all wrapped up in this and betting on it. And someone sp- spikes someone's drink with Viagra. And it's like everyone needs to be not just fired, but arrested <laughs> for getting so involved in their friend's sex life. Oh, it's so creepy. It's just so icky. No, 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 no. It's it's Ew. so icky and icky. weird and like will be symbolic of the kind of hangups we have regarding sex. I think and it's masturbation. already there. Yeah. I don't think yeah. you could make this movie in twenty twenty. Of course not. Of course not. Like ha- like we have incels for <laughs> they call themselves that for a reason. Because yeah. no, even back in two thousand two, there were people saying like we're past this, guys. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Why are we making this movie now? And, and just like I'm thinking of like. I'm a little old to be the demographic, but I was you know, there for American Pie. Like going 40 days without sex is pretty routine. As as a yes. stinky, sweaty yeah. teenager, like but that's that's a, that's a Josh Hartnett up. movie star problem, not a even a Josh Hartnett character <laughs> yeah. problem. Yeah. But he's actually experiencing severe psychological problems at the beginning of the film. He oh. is actively hallucinating, um, which. <laughs> Got any listeners experience hallucination? Uh, seek professional help if you can. That's not uh, something you cure with no jerking off. And as someone who's no. attempted to go, I think ten days without that as a man, it did feel like it made me nuts. So at some point, we should probably teach that to people. Like it'll make you less nuts and less shitty if you can know how to relax yourself and put yourself down. Just is that too gross? Yeah, we can cut that or, out. I just or just just recommend maybe it. I don't know. Try not doing something without constantly thinking that you're not doing it. Yeah. Because now you're well, thinking about it. Yeah. Don't think of a pink elephant. That's yeah. That's hard. Son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> I think again. I think you could make a decent film about this. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a funny had... Seinfeld episode. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. an excellent already... Seinfeld episode. Good boy. There you yes. go. Boom. And, and it, without without any of these fucking stakes and uh, yeah, but even then they can't say masturbation. They had to coin new terms for masturbation because we were so uncomfortable with that. We fired a surgeon general. Who recommended it? But I mean, it's trivially easy to come up with masturbation terms. I'm going to come up with masturbation True. terms based on what I have around here. I was uh, flicking my joystick. Yes. I was <laughs> moving my mic up and down. I um, was pulling up my can tab. I was chugging the Bud Light hard soda. There no. you go. <laughs> I was not Voltroning. <laughs> I, there's a Voltron toy on the title, and I don't know why. This is a room Diana shares with her husband, I would like to point out. Yeah. She's clearly seeing a um, Voltron. <laughs> I was being Cuphead there. Whatever. I don't know. I just hope you find your mug, man. Cartoon is pretty good, people. I hate recommending new stuff. 40 Days and 40 Nights we do not recommend. Nope. Um, nope. I don't believe this performed nope. very well. But our second movie of the week filmed in our old stomping grounds of San Francisco. And then finally this week, number one at the box office. Look at this cast for a movie. I don't care for. Nobody uh, cares no. for. Yeah, Baby John Ham, Barry Pepper, Carrie Russell, Chris Klein, Greg Kinnear, Sam Elliott, Madeline Stowe, and Mel Gibson, the unbeatable Mel Gibson, and we were soldiers. Do you know the most common thing an American soldier says when he's dying on the battlefield? Tell my wife. I love her. For country. I know what my husband's fighting for, and that's why I can smile. For family. Daddy, what is a war? For each other. Men are so young. I look at them, see our boys. 
Mel Gibson. I will leave no one <laughs> behind. We were soldiers. Rated R. Uh, I don't know, man. Daddy, uh. what's Vietnam? <laughs> Daddy, is there any good war as we're about to invade Afghanistan? Glad you asked. Mel Gibson is here to tell us. Uh, so... Mel Gibson wanted to make a Vietnam War without the politics. He wanted to make a war film, a film about the act of war. Problem is, there's no humanity in this film. Mm -hmm. Uh, The soldiers really don't have any depth. They don't have any flaws. They're more ideals than they are people. And that doesn't make for a very entertaining battle film, which is what this is. It's not about the war. It's Mm -hmm. about one specific battle in that war. But I found the battle scenes disjointed, confusing to watch. And I know that can sometimes be the point of a battle, but it doesn't necessarily make for interesting viewership. And I didn't find this to be a film where I ever felt I was in Vietnam. I mean, if you compare this to Full Metal Jacket, I felt like Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, you are totally in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. I never felt that with this film. Yeah. Well, the direction, the problem with the direction is it's directed by a guy named Randall Wallace, um, who wrote Braveheart. But his only previous directing was The Man in the Iron Mask, the really dumb one, (laughs) the incredibly badly directed one. So, like, everything this guy has ever touched is crap, except somehow for Braveheart. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, he also wrote Pearl Harbor. Ooh, delicious, delicious. Yeah, so yeah, Randall Wallace kind of blows, (laughs) and you can totally see this, and that they're trying to be like, oh, this is like a real story. It's based on a nonfiction book. This is a real story. And then, of course, they change everything to make it like (laughs) the Americans are way more heroic, and they have a big final last stand, a big last charge, and then they win, and everything's great. And, of course, none of that is what actually happened. Mm. So some reviews at the time saying, like, oh, we appreciated that like they humanize the Viet Cong mm-hmm. like those soldiers are soldiers are not just you know demon monster people who are faceless but it's like yeah but only a little bit they're still pretty much just wave after wave of some guys who also want you off their, fighting for. want you off their land kind get the of, fuck but out I feel of here. like it was miles above Black Hawk Down in that regard yes mm. that is very true I saw people making that same comparison in reviews because that's kind of what they're going for here is yeah. that sort of like you are there feeling and yeah i didn't really feel it at all uh, uh, and uh, the wives in this film are incredibly tacked on i mean yeah, they, they are in a movie that's not this movie and they could be replaced with sexy lamps and <laughs> the plot of the film would be unchanged it really would nothing would be changed at all yeah I don't know why they were there. It seemed pointless. Uh, I actually, uh, the only thing, I I did not rewatch this, but I was listening to John Hamm talk about being in this movie. Hmm. And he was talking about, he became friends with the editor from this movie because he went and saw it and like, Jesus, I didn't think I was in this at all. And I'm in this, you see him a lot. And he was like, dude, thanks for putting me in the movie so much. And he's like, um, every time everyone in every scene was done with their lines, they'd kind of just go back to doing what they were doing. But he said, but you, John Hamm, paid attention and stayed like listening to visibly listening to everybody in every scene. And I didn't have any footage of Mel Gibson listening to (laughs) Greg Kinnear. I had you paying attention to everybody. So that's why you're in the movie so much, because you did a great job as a very, very young and struggling actor. (laughs) That's and that's all the only good thing I had to say about this movie. It gave us more Uh, John Hamm. 
I can say a bad thing. Do it. This film has Sam Elliott without a mustache. Bullshit. Which no. should not be allowed. Bullshit. No. Um, how do you even how do you even recognize him? Unbelievable. That's like Boy, that's like just Bradley Cooper. No, I don't want that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that at all. We were soldiers. It's number one this week, as most pro-war movies are meant to be in this post-9-11 period of pop culture and grief. And that's why, if you haven't listened to the show, I had a real discomfort going to see these types of movies around this time. Let's move on to television. We ready? Television. Yep, sure. This week we have the 44th Grammy Awards. Oh boy, is it exciting. Hosted by Jon Stewart, which... If there was someone you could get me to watch something based on him hosting, I think Jon Stewart really walked that great line between like real person, but not like Ricky Gervais shitting on everybody. Let's. <laughs> My favorite thing was him at the MTV Music Awards after Michael Jackson kissed his wife, Lisa Marie Presley. He's like, wow, that looked incredibly unstaged. And <laughs> and <laughs> but he's hosting the Grammys this week, and the Grammys has too many awards to go into entirely because holy shit it is a lot yeah um, uh you two wins, wins a bunch of stuff from uh all that you can't leave behind oh brother we're out there soundtrack cleans up pretty well yeah. and alicia keys wins song of the year for fallen and best new artist feels feels good and i mean as you two fans there was that talk uh is you two is you two kind of over are they trying to make it happen is, is you two going to be able to make it happen again i think like them winning all these awards meant we would have you two in our lives forever because during that discotheque period i was not sure and <laughs> I'm like the only person who defends that album. But I will defend it to the death. No, Sonia defends that album. So I just love making fun of it because it really is I like know. people trying to adapt. And this was them like, eh, we're just you two. We'll be you two now. On February 26, watching Ellie debuts on NBC. And this is notable for being Seacrell's first regular role on a series. Yeah. I was a big fan of The Daily Show. So I was. Like, oh, now I'm going to have to pay attention to this for like four seconds and then never again. Yeah, he popped but, up mm -hmm. in a couple of one-shot sitcom roles, but this mm -hmm. is his first time being a real recurring major character. Mm. Yep. And this is a Julia Louis-Dreyfus joint. Yes. Created mm -hmm. by her and her husband, Brad Hall. And part of two sort of seasons. Not quite. Part of the proud Seinfeld tradition of Bob Patterson, the uh, Michael, Michael Richard Richards show, show, The Tick, and this one. The Tick. But a Steve Carell, if you were a Daily Show fan, God, did you want to see big things happen for that dude. He was, mm -hmm. nobody screams like Steve Carell. Yeah. Well, I give him another three years, he'll get a show. Yeah. And then everyone will love him. Uh, on 28th, we have Leap of Faith. It debuts on NBC. Not to be confused, okay. the Steve Martin movie that I've seen this is, too many times. Yeah. This is a more grown-up version of Friends. Oh, it yeah. appeared right after Friends. It's definitely in a phase of life. The protagonist is getting married, breaks up with her fiancé because she's worried, what if our marriage isn't perfect? Which mm -hmm. is, hey, that's kind of life. It's okay to, <laughs> to break up with someone because you don't think they're the best for you or it's not healthy, but because you think it might not be perfect. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's when you know you're watching too many movies yeah. that only end in a marriage and don't show yeah. any clips from afterwards. Yeah. yeah, but oh my gosh, this cast though, I'd never heard of this, but Sarah Paulson, Ken Marino, Lisa Edelstein, who was on House, Tim Meadows, Regina King. Holy shit. Jill Kleberg? Holy crap. That is, it's like, oh, you let them all get away, NBC. You could have <laughs> had something. 
Yeah, it only goes six episodes, and it got 14.6 million viewers, but it was appearing after Friends, Mm. and that was not good enough for a show after Friends. (laughs) So it was canceled. Mm -hmm. And do you know what they filled it with? No. Scorch. Scorch? Please tell me Scorch. (laughs) Reruns of Friends. Wow. The Uh only thing that could follow Friends and get a high enough viewership was more Friends. Friends, And the reruns of Friends got 18.6 million viewers compared to the 14 for this TV show. Oh my god. Holy shit. Wow. That's that is sad. Also, maybe sad. I don't know how this really works anymore. March 1st, Sesame Street broadcasts its 4000th episode. Oof. If it was your job to watch 40 hours a week <laughs> and then you had 2 weeks of leave each year, then it would take you 2 full years of it being your full-time job to watch Sesame Street. Oh, my God. But, uh, yeah, you all know what Sesame Street is. It's charming. It's relatable. It's interactive. It hasn't changed much in all these years and it still works yeah it's, it's a the, great goodness there's always and there's i think there's always going to be a part of us because i i can confirm my mother said no you like sesame street i was talking to her glowingly about mr rogers she's like it's so weird to hear you say that because you fucking hated mr rogers as a kid I'm like <laughs> i did and like yeah you thought he was boring and crappy and you just wanted the puppets and the songs and the cartoons to come on like yeah sesame street really is it, it transcends generations in time it is mm-hmm. it's at 52 seasons now, from 1969, <laughs> and I think the only thing that's depressing about it is it hits 4,000 episodes 20 years ago, and it has had 500 since then. Mm. And okay. if you haven't been in like a Target, Walmart, Costco aisle, Sesame Street went to HBO. If in yeah. case you didn't know, HBO was kind enough to be like, uh, you know, we're not taking it away from pbs we'll just get first run shows and we'll put the older shows on pbs as we make new seasons to not take sesame street away from everyone but there there was a reality there where sesame street can't economically survive and might have gone the way of reading rainbow had hbo not picked it up but you're also seeing things that sesame street never did they made merchandise so you could own a big bird or an elmo but they never had them appear on products and you're seeing them do that a lot now after 45 years of not and that's Mm. I, that makes me feel funny. Every time I see Elmo on a sugary cereal, I'm like, that yeah. shouldn't happen. Like, they, they, they promised he'd only be on vegetables and fruits. <laughs> you know, the, the name Sesame Street is mm-hmm. so timeless and classic. Yes. But I really think they should have gone with the original name. Hey, these kids can't read or write, can they? Mm-hmm. No. Uh-uh. Then how's about we call the show Hey Stupid? <laughs> Hey, stupid. There is a fucking Muppet smoking in that sequence. Like, what was that pitch reel is wonderful. They know their audience. Your kids enjoy Sesame Street, Jerry? Or have they? Uh, no. Sadly, both my kids hate anything Muppet related. I tried to get them to watch the Muppet Christmas Carol. It was a no-go. I tried to watch the Dark Crystal. It was a no-go. It is what it is. Well, maybe your kids will enjoy more. Jeremiah debuting on Showtime. The post-apocalyptic drama with, uh, is this the show I was thinking of? Um, with Malcolm Luke Jamal Perry? Warner and Luke Perry. Yes, yes. that is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Two se- two seasons on Showtime? Did it go mm-hmm. to sci-fi? I forget how that worked. I think um, it stopped after two seasons. It did stop um, after two seasons, yes. It 
is lost to time. There is no fan base for this show wow. at all, which seems to be a Showtime fate. Mm -hmm. uh, their shows just do not get the intense fans that other shows do. Because to me, a post-apocalyptic world where everyone over the age of puberty dies... And we're oh flashing God. forward 15 years later where society has collapsed, of course. And all you have is adults who were raised by themselves as children, raising the other children. And Ooh. so it is not a nice place to be. Tons of good plot points and plot twists you can throw around. But no, no one talks about it. No one cares about it. There's really not a footprint for this show anywhere. I'm kind of stunned. I mean, it's created by J. Michael Straczynski, who mm -hmm. even I recognize that name from comics and stuff. Um, and it was due for a resurgence because it takes place in the far off year of 2021. One, one, <laughs> one, one. So and much maybe better than watching a show about a plague taking place in 2021. Oh, boy. Ooh. I feel like it would have been a good time for it, man. Yeah. And I, th yeah. I think you, the Showtime shows I've, I've bitched about before traditionally hate. I don't think they're a very good network. And uh, But also... I think at this point in a pre-internet day, you, you have to consider them. These are the least watched shows on television because the fewest people <laughs> have Showtime because it's an expensive channel. It's not HBO. And I, DVDs are basically how HBO shows caught on and became prestige entertainment because it would cost you 90 bucks to watch a, a season of The Sopranos without an HBO <laughs> subscription. Don't see Showtime being able to pull that kind of shit for Jeremiah. Yeah. But from the owners of season one, four, and five of uh, Six Feet Under, let me tell you, <laughs> Six Feet Under Season 2 begins on HBO, and it was a show I very much cherished. In the game. Yeah. And I do find, again, I find Six Feet Under to be like, could you make a show like this now? It just, it didn't have the same stakes as modern prestige programming. No one's dealing drugs or in a life and death situation every week. It's just a family who runs a mortuary, which is different than something we've seen on television. And kind of a front and center gay character in a way. I hadn't seen before, but yep. I love the show and I, and I, and yep. I have a hard time describing why 20 years later, but I think all of us last year during the premiere, we all kind of fell back into six feet under again. Cause it is kind of yep. a lovely watch. There were big chunks of it that I never got around to watching. I picked it up probably halfway through the run. So I did oh, okay. go back and binge the whole thing mm -hmm. uh, last year and with Michael who had never seen any of it. And we just could not get enough of it. We loved it. Yeah. It's so damn good. It, it reminds me a little of Mad Men because mm. it's mm. not a place where people are killing each other, but there's still beautiful drama. It's high quality film. I mean, you can compare how lush and gorgeous this looks to Jeremiah and mm. you can tell it's just filmed better. Yes. Every season I feel is like a complete story. And it's talking about death, which is not something we talk about that often. You know, when it's mm -hmm. appearing in film, it's like, I shot the bad guy and we're not going to think about him being gone from all eternity and his family left behind. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> but this is begins every episode with a death and you see how that death affects the people they left behind. This episode begins with a scream queen actress taking cocaine and then dying from it and ends with her movie crew family snorting her ashes yes because right. <laughs> yeah like like jr was like uh, they work in a mortuary so that oftentimes the death shown in the beginning is just sort of played for laughs or shock but you typically see how that body moves through the mortuary and the people who are grieving in that body's wake deal with things and this is a 
this was especially special because I'm kind of dying to snort someone's ashes now. <laughs> I would love to do that. If anybody wants to put that in their will, I will do it. I mean, I mean, of my co-hosts, not with the listeners. I'm not snorting a stranger's ashes. <laughs> and, I, I want to just say that this has one of my favorite scenes in Six Feet Under, and that's where a character accidentally gets high without him knowing it. Nate, mm. are you all right? Oh, I am more than all right. <laughs> I haven't felt this good in... I don't even know how long it's been. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know how long it's been since I've heard you do that? What? When we were first going out, you used to laugh all the time. I miss that. I mean, your laughter's like music. This is a very, very familiar sight in 2002, let me tell you. <laughs> He's sweaty, wide-eyed, name the truck. Uh, So what happened was his brother, David, Mm -hmm. accidentally put ecstasy in an aspirin bottle. And I call it Chekhov's MDMA. uh, (laughs) Because throughout the series, various characters take an aspirin. And will it be MDMA? Will it not be? (laughs) You don't know until it actually kicks in. Wow. And And they all have different experiences with it. That would be so fucking shocking to hit that unexpectedly. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't even know how my body would react to that. Jesus. Games of 2002, uh, February 25th through March 3rd, Crash Bandicoot, The Huge Adventure on GBA. Um, So the plot of this is that a villain has a shrink ray, and the title of it is The Huge Adventure. So what do you think the gimmick is? Hell yeah. Little person, big world. Or, yeah, little... Person, big world. Love it. You'd think so. Oh, no. No. There is zero gimmick. They do absolutely nothing with that. Crash, (laughs) they shrink the entire world, and Crash is shrunk along with it, so there's no change for him. (laughs) At all. He's he's doing the exact same platforming (laughs) as if the world had not been shrunk. There's a lot of philosophical questions going on there. Like, if you were (laughs) shrunk relative to the entire world, would you even notice? God, I feel like Elon Musk bringing up shit like this on a fucking podcast. (laughs) Also out this week, EOE, Eve of Extinction for PS2. Don't know anything about this. Shadow Uh, Man. Beat him up. Your girlfriend is also your sword. Oh, what? (laughs) That's very very Caveman Games-esque. I very much love that idea. Shadow Man 2, Tuekind coming. Uh, as I believe they want me to pronounce it, with a two instead of an S for second. Two second coming for PS2. That is Shadow Man, the Creole. Really did like that first game, and I can't really remember why at this point, because kind of a flash in the pan there. And Echo the Dolphin, Defender of the Universe for PS2. I think that's a Dreamcast port of yeah. the only I good loved, 3D Dolphin game. I love the Echo the Dolphin series on Genesis, mm-hmm. so I was really excited to play this, which I've never played, and I pulled it up and it's not that I, I, I it is it. really bad to play a dolphin swimming around in 3d underwater i mean it made me so <laughs> physically nauseous it may be a great game but i cannot I watch a dolphin sure. dart around in water do twisty turns loop-de-loops flying all over the place with no sense of gravity no my stomach is not set up to be a dolphin all right we got to get you playing <laughs> superman 64 really hard you up for echo the dolphin <laughs> defender of the future great subtitle though how about that you know we got to close out 2002 so why not do that with a little alanis hands clean but when we come back people 2012 stay right there
internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week and see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of February 25th through March 3rd, we've got a 40th anniversary of a tiny little film that is one of those tiny little films that when you see it, you get mad that no one's told you about this tiny little film. And then you want everyone to go see the tiny little film. And this time, the tiny little film is Diner from 1982, written and directed by Barry Levinson, starring... So many people before they were famous. Steve Gutenberg, Daniel Stern, Mickey Rourke, Kevin Bacon, Tim Daly, Ellen Barkin, Paul Reiser. What's it about? Guys hanging, talking, stuff. I love that Wikipedia describes it as a bromantic comedy. Chef's kiss. That is perfect. That is exactly what it is. Because it's a light comedy slash coming of age film about guys that are, I don't know, like college age-ish or maybe a little bit after college age. And they're just like really low stakes adventures (laughs) of just like bets and, you know, girls and a bookie coming after you and trying to trick your friend into doing something embarrassing. And it's just, (sighs) they do a lot of shit that, I mean, yeah, kind of like Animal House. You're like, well, I'm pretty sure that's a sex crime, but it's done with such sort of like a light tone that you just sort of feel like you broed out with these bros but not like jock bros obviously i mean steve gutenberg's like maybe the coolest one of the bunch ah who my kid is mickey rourke but yeah diner it's adorable 1982 turning 40 this week and that's it for this week stay classic Thank you, Katy Perry, welcoming you to 2012 with Part of Me. It's number one this week. Welcome to 10 Years into the Future of 2012, where David Byrne's Uh-Oh album is still the greatest album cover I've ever... I don't know if we talked about that in the last segment, <laughs> but I did look it up, and it's it's hilarious. It should be a t-shirt. It gives me big Casey Green, this is fine vibes. Please look up David Byrne's album cover for Uh-Oh. It's great. You'll wish it was your dog. Other music releases of 2012. February 25th through March 3rd. Territory by Halloween. Uh, Utilitarian by Napalm Death. And Pound of Dirt by Sister Sparrow and the Dirty Birds. So I guess that's counter-programming to your Katy Perry. I, it seems like a lot yeah. of metal-y, gothy stuff. 2012 news. Something I didn't rem- I don't remember this happening. I feel like this would have been more in the news at the time because of the massive age difference here. I can say these words. Dick Van Dyke, 86. Mary's makeup artist, Arlene Silver, 40. 40. Yeah. So yeah. it's hard to... Does not ma- make the half his age plus seven rule. I nope. just heard that for the first time today. I've never heard that before. Oh, really? Yes. Dang. My friend was hassling. I offered to walk a woman somewhere that was unsafe, and she she's like, no, she makes the half age plus seven rule. I'm like, what does that mean? Never heard that before. Never heard that before. Trying to do something nice for somebody. But it's hard to it's hard to criticize. A 40-year-old woman knows what she's doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no way that she's this blushing innocent who was swept away by the nefarious 86-year-old man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but you have you not seen Dick Van Dyke? I mean, up until COVID, was out there doing interviews and fucking dancing in movies. 
oh, yeah. into his and 90s. He, so he's for a man his age, which is now 96. He's in good shape, and for 86, incredible shape. He yeah. he sounds. The only thing I noticed about him in a, one of his last Cone interviews, he sounds old, mm-hmm. like just has that. But he's not slow, and yep. he and and he seems to still be exercising and walking around on his own. Like, and he he literally is the conclusion of the Mary Poppins Returns movie that nobody saw but me. He <laughs> he is the finale of that film. And nice. where he just gets on a, on a table and starts dancing. And it very much is worthy of a finale. Dick Van Dyke still with us. Diana, uh, uh, does he technically count as a piece of old Hollywood? Because he's sort of... Oh, yeah. Yeah? I mean, absolutely. I mean, he was, he was doing stuff back in the 50s. And you want to tie him into even older Hollywood. Like, he's told the story a bunch of times about moving to L.A. and looking up Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy in the phone book. Yeah. <laughs> being shocked he's in the phone book and saying, oh, hi, can I come over and talk to you? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you my grandkids? Yes, please. Uh, but, yeah, Dick Van Dyke, a guy uh, I didn't know he did. I just assumed he was married to the same woman, but, like... At his age, he's probably lost at least two wives' natural causes. So. Yeah, I think one of his wives <laughs> passed away, and then there was a period where he and was by himself. And Arle- then he, you know, met a nice younger woman, and as far as I can tell, they're still together ten years later. So. Arlene Silver's yeah, there trying to steal the diagnosis murder fortune. I'm just, I'm always weirded out by not the age difference, but the fame difference on things where it's like, like when... Um, Tom Cruise was with Katie Holmes. It's like she doesn't remember a time where Tom Cruise wasn't famous. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's kind of the same thing here. It's like yeah. he was always Dick Van Dyke famous person to you. Yeah. There's an interview of them where she says that she had never seen uh, Mary Poppins uh-huh. before they started dating. And then uh-huh. like, you have to watch this, honey. We're dating. <laughs> And also, shut up, you liar, you liar. Don't pretend like you didn't see Mary Poppins to get your chitty chitty bang bang on. And you probably saw that one too, so there. And not to mention the show that bears his name that everybody saw because there wasn't anything else to watch. Liar. Anyway, moving on to movies of 2012, Silent House. It's the house that's silent with a... Adam Barnett, Haley Murphy, Julia Taylor Ross, Eric Sheffer Stevens, Adam Tress, and Elizabeth Olsen. Silent House. Silent House. Yeah. So this is actually a remake of an Uruguayan film. Huh? It's not something you get to say very much. No. But it's it's a pretty old fashioned. You know, something's wrong with this house. They're, they're trying to contact me for some reason kind of movie, but it's got a twist on it. And also the conceit is that it looks like it's all one shot. It's not. It's faked one shots. Oh. You know, but every, I, I there's fake get, there's cuts that are hidden every like 10 to 12 minutes. I get why it would be interesting for a filmmaker to test themselves to see if they could make it look like one continuous shot. Right. Mm-hmm. What is the advantage for the audience yeah. watching this? fairly low-key horror film there, that it's all one It shot. feels like it's real time. Yeah, there is there, there is some benefit for the audience because when someone does that masterfully and you don't notice, it is like, and they're putting in like action sequences and rise and falls of emotion, you don't have time to lose interest in the scene because the scene doesn't cut. If you can think of some of my favorites, the opening of Serenity or that, uh, what's that movie? Uh, what's that show? True Detective. This True Detective scene where like, I remember we, I was watching that with four people who'd like kept, mouths kept dropping further and moving <laughs> close to the television. That scene is escalated for being one prolonged cut. But also, yeah. I don't know if you can sustain that momentum for the length of entire film. Uh, well, that, 1917, I think, did it. But yeah, to me, exactly. I saw the value in that. did it. Yeah, Rope that was did awesome. It. Russian Ark. Russian Ark. Um, Birdman sorted at it. Birdman, 
you 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 cheeky bastards. Sword There's eye. so much of a passage of time in that movie. Yeah. Um, and we know you're faking it. But a lot of that trickery going around this week, but not with being Flynn, a movie with Julianne Moore, Wes Tootie, uh, Lily Taylor, uh, Hold Me, Kiss Me and Kill Me, Olivia Thrillby, Paul Dano, and Robert, Robert Downey De Niro. I don't know why I was about to say that, but it's just Robert De Niro. Being Flynn. Being Flynn. I've never heard um, of this. Robert De Niro is homeless. His son, Paul Dano, yep. works at a homeless shelter. And they meet up, and he's like, you abandoned me, and you're an alcoholic piece of shit. And he's like, we're just the same. And Paul Dano's like, no, we're not. Oh, wait, I smoked crack. Maybe we are. Maybe I'm also an addict. Fuck. I, I, I saw a lot of praise for Robert De Niro actually putting in some fucking effort for once. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. this is in the period where you don't have to. Yeah. And he's not going to. He's going to be in... He's only going to be in movies that are comedies with white posters and red titles. But I thought, okay, first of all, so tying things together, it's directed by Paul Weiss, mm-hmm. uh, brother of Chris Weiss, so American Pie tie-in right there. And it's based on an autobiographical book with a title that is so much better than Being Flynn, but I understand why they could not change it. Another Bullshit Night they in Suck City. City. Oh, I, oh. Remember re- I remember reading this was being adapted and like, I will see that movie no matter what it is. Motherfuckers! They changed it to being Flynn. No wonder I didn't. Another bullshit night in Suck City. I've always remember when that book got optioned. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! I remember that title. They, God damn! They could have F called it a night in Suck City, an, an, or another BS uh, night in Suck City. Just another BS night. Mm-hmm. I think you're done. Yeah, you can't say Suck City because that's porn. There's just no. I mean, ten years ago, we couldn't mention masturbation on a movie poster. All being right. Flynn makes me think it's an Errol Flynn film, and yeah. I'm mad. <laughs> That's what I want. Uh, and then moving on to the movies you're more likely to have seen, as if, if you're a mass audience. Sorry, that's just how we structure these things. Miles Teller is in this, yes. Uh, Alexis Knapp. Kirby Bliss Blanton. That doesn't sound like a real name. Uh, well, these are almost all unknown people young with- people. Very little experience. Yeah, Jonathan Dillon. But Kirby Bliss Blanton? Come Bliss on. Bliss Blanton. Uh, that sounds like the Blunch Black of Bloat Your Blame. It, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> Jonathan Daniel Brown, Oliver Cooper, and Thomas Mann in Project X. If we want to be big time players, we need to make a big time play. This party is going to change everything for us. To the breaking dawn, yo! Is this big enough to be cool? Project X, rated R. Uh, Project X, not a one-shot movie, but like Chronicle a few weeks ago, a found footage movie about yeah. a, a cheapy found footage movie about three teens putting on the best party of all time. And I've seen bits and pieces of this, but, you know, I'm not the audience. Uh, it's mm-hmm. best thought of as like a Godzilla film. You know, the characters are not the star of a Godzilla film. Godzilla mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. The characters in this film are not the star. The star is the ultimate house party that gets the most out of control any house party could possibly get out of control. The guys accidentally steal their drug dealer's gnome, which is filled with MDMA. Bro! And then it gets broken at the house party, so everyone takes it. And the climax of the film is the drug dealer showing up to get his drugs back with a flamethrower. <laughs> yeah. This my order could... some sauerkraut! Uh, <laughs> my only this could reference. have been a high school classic yeah. if the characters had been better. Mm. If exactly. this had been like that John Hughes charm of actual human beings, I hate to keep uh, harping on wanting actual humans in my film, but it would be nice sometimes. And you could have had a lot here, but you just don't get it. 
it's, yeah. it's a lost opportunity. Yeah, I, I totally agree that I, I appreciated having, you know, unknowns as the stars. I thought that was a good idea. It kind of makes it feel more real. But the characters were super undeveloped, except when they were really annoying. Yeah. They were being really, really annoying an awful lot of the time. And, you know, I'm not surprised that they're like being sexist and gross and occasionally, you know, a little bit homophobic, a little bit icky. It's like, yeah, you're going to get that. You know, like I just compared a movie to Animal House. Come on. Yeah. But, uh, there's I was just disappointed. Like this, yeah. this you know, I, I, I liked the way that it kept escalating in, in different ways, you know, when they opened the, uh, oven and a little person turns out he was trapped in there and then he starts <laughs> nut shotting everyone and steals the car. <laughs> sure. That's a good escalation. I'll Why not? <laughs> the, there's it. nothing wrong with the party itself. The party, yeah. like a Godzilla, it's an excellent Godzilla. They got the yeah. costume right. They got these building smashes. Excellent. But mm -hmm. they just can't carry it. Also, there's a bit of a ick factor for me when I remember there's tons of sex and tons of nudity in this film. It's also a high school party, which means oh. canonically these are underage women Ooh. getting naked. Mm. Ooh, Maybe they were all held back a grade oh. and they're seniors now. I gotta contend yeah. with a lot of stuff in John Hughes films movie now. Uh oh. <laughs> oh Ooh. yeah. But Molly, it, Molly it's also mentioned in this film that he loses his entire college fund his parents had saved up because they have to use it to repair all the damage from this party and and he's not really heartbroken about that. Uh, there's not a lot of consequences for this. Yep. And I, I just can't Doesn't... help picturing him 10 years later still making huge college loan payments. <laughs> party this party, was... party was so epic, man. Air. Totally worth it. Yep, exactly. Also, I loved reading up on the, their, the copycat parties. Because yes. really, this part yeah. of what gets out of hand is that they like post on Craigslist to like get more people to show up. So yeah, that happened in other places where they just you know hundred thousand dollars worth of damage and you know three hundred arrests. And <laughs> these, you know, idiot kids trying to have cool parties. Just like, dude, you shouldn't do it because you saw it in a movie. Yeah. Do it because That's... you want to trash your house <laughs> because your stepmom hates you. Come on. Did mm. either of you ever have a party in your entire life that changed your life? No. Huh. Or you mean been to or hosted? Either. Because I never hosted a good party in my life. Oh, <laughs> come on. Yeah, I did. I did flood the laundry room. I flooded the laundry room one time because I tried to light a cigarette with a candle and be all cool, and I spilled wax all over my new pants. <laughs> so I decided to wash the the hardened wax off of my new jeans in the utility sink and then i'm like oh yeah we should go get some more cigarettes and then i left my house and came back and it was like a movie flooded on one end because uh, my pants <laughs> so that sort of changed my life in that i owed my parents a lot of money but but no no because yeah like maybe i met a girl here and there uh, but I think, you know, fortunate to not have any tragic incidents following a party. That didn't oh, really yeah. happen. Uh, but I know I that, that can happen. Yep. Uh, yeah, I guess I haven't. Well, I have. No, I hosted one party that has changed the history of the world oh, in, a way to in, in a way of speaking. The Democratic I, Party. No. Yeah. No, my, <laughs> I, I hosted a party where two of my friends hooked up and eventually they got married and they have kids now. So. Oh, yeah. I think I've been a part I'm of that. responsible nice. for adding people to the world through proxy. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, I guess it, it's hard to. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to shit on all those TikTokers' dreams, but yeah, there's not a lot of parties that end up changing your life. 
It's all the stuff that happens outside of structured events that change your life. Yeah, there's a college humor skit, I think, called Average Party. And it's all about these guys who try to throw a wild movie party that's going to change their lives forever. And then it's just a completely average party. But (laughs) one of the kids still thinks he's in a college or high school party movie. And he keeps reacting to, like, people playing Mario Kart like it's this (laughs) film. (laughs) Oh, we're playing Egyptian rat screw again. This is life-changing, bro. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, but party, party, party. Now, party's over. You got to talk about the number one movie at the box office. Do we, though? Damn it. I tapped out on this. This is this is one of my favorite books. And it already of all the adaptations of this author's books, this is my favorite adaptation. Um, and yeah, to, to see this happen, I agree. it's great. And it's on. You can find that on YouTube. You can stream this movie on Peacock. But I gotta say, outside of one particularly wonderful moment in casting, I don't care for this at all. Stephen Tobolowsky, oh, so close to coast to coast. He was, oh, yeah. he was uh, in Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Nassim Pedrad, Jenny Slate, Betty White, Rob Riggle. Ed Helms, Taylor Swift, Zach Efron, and wonderful casting, Danny DeVito as Dr. Seuss's The Lorax. From the creators of Despicable Me. What I want more than anything is a real tree. And the incredible imagination of Dr. Seuss comes The Lorax. Hey! It's the eye-popping, jaw-dropping, high-flying, heart-stopping, event of the year. Who invited the furry peanut? I'll go right up your nose. Whoa. You wouldn't hit a woman. That's a woman. Dr. Seuss's The Lawrence. <laughs> How many things won't hold up in this movie? Uh, uh, man, do uh, I hate Lorax, this film? The Lorax, I'm sad to say, is not very good. No. Tell you to skip it? Yes, I would. The <laughs> Lorax only rhymes when characters break into song. This happens a few times. And everyone in the film sings along. Mm. It's sponsored by IHOP, Comcast, and Mazda SUV. Because you can't expect the Lorax to sell out for free. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Bravo! Uh, Audrey Geisel would, would applaud. I, some, uh, Dr. Seuss's widow at some point said, no more live, adapt- live action adaptations of Dr. Seuss books. And I applaud her for that. But Thank I also God. have hated every single one of the... Horton Hears a Who being... A weird default, the best, and the Grinch having its moments. This is just the most unnecessary, egregious, and semi-offensive. Because mm-hmm. the Lorax has a pretty clear message of anti-commercialization, dare I say, anti-capitalist and pro-environment. And to to not only have pro- that many aspects, I think they said seventy aspects of yes. product integration with the Lorax. <laughs> Yeah. Including sports utility vehicles and diapers, which are not good for the environment. It's not even an electric car. Yeah, it's, it's an <laughs> SUV. And and if I don't know if I said that on mic or just to you guys, that poster, there was something that happened to the economy around this time where the advertising budgets fell out for everything. So we had like a mural of Daredevil season one in our neighborhood for eight years, and we also had one street. With every bus stop having a poster for the Lorax Mazda SUV for about nine years, so I, I looked at this like almost every time I rode my, I left my house, and I got even madder because other yeah. than Danny DeVito casting, this sucks. Yeah, I just, I it's so frustrating to me just the raw hypocrisy because yeah. the whole, yeah, the whole point of the movie is about sustainability 
is like in in a single word the idea is like look you can use natural resources but if you wipe them out if you use them too greedily then they're all gone and then what do you got nothing so well, this film use them sustainably and that's nice and the idea that like they live in this like gated community where everything is very fake you know the the trees are fake everything is plastic and inflatable and the the yearning for something authentic and natural are that's they though great that's I a don't wonderful think thing they are the people in the needville are yeah. very happy in the needville no but uh, taylor we... swift and zach efron's character the youngsters are kind of rebelling against this and like good no zach efron's character wants to get romantically involved with taylor yeah. swift's character he doesn't great. have a deep deep need to <laughs> uh find a tree he just wants to impress a girl all all, all, all great characters Fair. in the book by the way uh, <laughs> her need to see a tree isn't even this presented as this huge desperate desire it's kind of like my daughter i'd really like to see a unicorn okay yeah but it's not like her lifelong mm. dream or anything it's just something she says a little bit so the backstory of this is they exterminate the trees and as a result they live in a very clean place where everyone seems to be healthy everyone has a job there's not this post-apocalyptic hellscape that yeah. it should be there's yeah. it's not but that's really right but that's right beyond their neighborhood but they don't live beyond it they what yeah. we see is a bunch of people not starving not gasping for air they say that they're selling air but it's presented as a luxury good like mm -hmm. bottled water you can still get plenty of good water without it being bottled water uh, and that's the same with air if they would have had like a poor single mother struggling to find enough money to buy air for her children for that week mm. that would have been a powerful well, message but we don't get that now you see uh, i kind of i kind of like the idea that yeah they're in this gated community and they don't see the destruction around them because that's kind of where we are in the first world i suppose that's you no know, we take all we recycle yeah. and we're good at recycling all, re all our recycling gets put on giant ships to go to china to get recycled and a lot of it doesn't actually get recycled but we feel like oh well we're doing a good thing whatever it's like we don't live next to trash dumps like so much of the rest of the world does like yeah okay we're not right. seeing the devastation we're starting to see it as everything catches on fire all the fucking time mm -hmm. but we don't see it so we pretend that it's is, not a problem that is the point that is the the blunt force the <laughs> blunt force point of the original story right. in animated adaptation you are sitting in your waist and watching the Swami Swans and the Barbaloot suits walking. The fish have to walk away from the goddamn water. <laughs> the film needed to be the road for children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love I'll it. Take yeah. It. The road junior. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yes. There's there's definitely a way they could have done this without it just being like, oh fuck you. This <laughs> like greenwashing the movie. Like greenwashing. <laughs> No. Does it at least it's... end with a to last the truffular seeds? Uh, take it with care. Yeah, yeah. Give it clean water and feed it fresh air. Uh, mm -hmm. I I love that yeah. animated that animated special is on YouTube for nothing in HD. Save yourself an hour. Watch that shit. It's my favorite thing. Freeling to Patty, you know the Ant and the Aardvark, former Bugs Bunny people did on their own. It's it's such a great animated special from 1974. It, well, the, the story is simple enough that it did not need to be blown out to I, a movie, which is pretty much true of all Doctor Seuss's stuff. Yeah, there's the problem there's, with all of these is there's there's about 
half an hour's worth of content. Uh, no, there's usually 16 pages worth of content yeah. that are mostly pictures that they stretch into 90 minutes. That's why I didn't like the live action Grinch adaptation, whereas the new animated one at least has funny moments and is set in like this alternate universe. All these new characters, it at least makes sense as a movie, but is also not going to replace the majesty of Chuck Jones. See, RIP. I think you could have stretched this out all you had to do is like really show the babaloots until mm -hmm. they get kicked out uh, and then really show the swami swans until they get kicked out and just have it be a continuous conga line of <laughs> death and destruction which is exactly what children's movies need uh, you know you know what i, I just want to call for because occasionally we you know there are people out there in los angeles who make shit listening I think a really much better way to a, a much better way to add, adapt Dr. Seuss stuff I think would be a really fun anthology movie. Like yeah. take a take yeah. a couple of stories and imagine the poster with like the Lorax and the Cat in the Hat and Yertle the Turtle and Horton like all that shit all over the poster and these 15 minute, 20 minute, 7 minute the star-bellied sneeches you can do all that shit in one one movie, maybe two movies, exactly as it is on the page for the most part. I want right. kids to learn a barely disguised metaphor about fascism, environmentalism, capitalism, the way Dr. Seuss fucking intended it. God yeah. damn it. One of mm. the uh, quotes I've read about environmentalism that really sticks with me is, uh, no snowflake thinks it's responsible for the avalanche. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard message to get across in uh, literature. But I really think the original Lorax does get that across. And uh, this movie takes the position that if we exterminate the trees, we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And we can fix any problems that arise after that without any sacrifice. I mean, mm -hmm. the most depressed. I, I watch the animated one too often when I get drunk. It's a really easy watch on YouTube. And my take takeaway that's not in this movie is when the once there's two characters who speak in the <laughs> in the Lorax. And this movie has way too many talkers. But mm. it's the Onceler and the Lorax. The Onceler comes to town, finds out he can make sweaters out of these trees, and then invites his entire family. And they come in and they abuse and use this land and ring it dry and then there's that scene of them all waving as they drive away once everything of the land is used and abused we are out of here fuck you too onceler and <laughs> and that's how you get get alone and that's what i think i didn't get to that part but i feel like this film has to lack that depressing nature of like yeah we don't have any use for you or your trees anymore fuck off you're only left with a lorax and, it, and again the ending of the lorax animated like it makes me cry i love it i think it's great the music is very 70s but why Watch that shit, people. Yep. And I, yeah. And then so finally get my, I, I, uh, I'm, I speak for the trees. That's my Lorax. I, I don't want a, you and your goddamn capitalist whores taking my <laughs> truffula trees. <laughs> Me and Charlie were down in the sewers looking for our truffula tree. <laughs> Sorry. I don't do a lot of good Danny DeVito impressions, but I do think that's, I think whenever we see that there's a, diminutive animated character being cast we always wanted to be danny devito <laughs> and this time we got that wish and, it, and I, I sorry detective pikachu fans it didn't happen for you but that's <laughs> i don't know not still not worth watching the movie animated special forever please get it yep or get it on dvd in the most confusingly titled box set and that's how you have to look it up the many hats of dr seuss which contains all of the made-for-television animated specials, which I think far better adapted Dr. Seuss stuff and is probably a little more widely responsible in getting those stories to the next generation, or at least like keep keeping in the minds of 
every other generation. I'm sure kids keep reading the books. They're in every library. But uh, making adults think about Dr. Seuss. I think the animated specials did a way better job at that than, than our generation's 90-minute movies. Blech. Blech. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Watch Ralph Bakshi's Butter Battle Book. Isn't that a great thing I get to say? Ralph <laughs> Fritz the Cat Guy made Butter Battle Book. Anyway, television. It's the Oscars! A little early. God, I'm bracing myself for Oscar time. We got a later time. We'll have a pre-Oscar show, I think, going up soon. Um, All but... right. Well, Billy Crystal is back to host because... We needed James to see that Sammy Franco. Davis Jr. impression. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> James Franco and Anne Hathaway no, impressed no one. That's why. Um, I, I Bring just, it back. I just finished that, uh, you must remember this, Sammy and uh, Dean arc. Oh, and so good. It's one of the best things that happened to podcasts. But, yes, the, I love it when in her historical notes, I'm reminded of something I saw with Diana in person. And that was Billy Crystal do Sammy Davis Jr. And we were just like, oh my God, is this happening in 2012? <laughs> yes, it was. But the Oscars this year, you know how this is going to go. The artist is there. Yeah. Um, Which I hope you have seen since I promoted it so much mm-hmm. because I went back and watched it and obviously it is built just for me big old classic film nerd but it was still it's really really enjoyable so it takes best picture best director best actor for jean dujardin meryl streep takes best actress for playing margaret thatcher uh octavia spencer wins for being the best thing about the help and christopher Plummer (laughs) becomes the oldest winner ever at that point for uh beginners because he's so wonderful in that oldest and uh Mm. Rango takes best animated film, which makes me happy, and a separation one for best foreign language, which is yeah, it didn't, no one else had a chance. Let's be honest. So and and, and my favorite part, I ke- I have not been able to find this promo, but as a big Community fan, Jim Rash wins the yes. Oscar with Nat Faxon and Alexander Payne for uh, the Descendants, and Jim Rash just visually makes fun of Angelina Jolie's pose on stage and gets huge laughs. And the next week on NBC. The promo for Community is like, congratulations to the Dean for his Oscar win. And then gets like, seriously, this guy won an Oscar. Watch Community. <laughs> and But like, kind of like shit on him at the same time <laughs> by showing really fun Dean clips. Dean, 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 Dean. Um, <laughs> but, but yes, the Dean from Community has an Oscar as of uh, this as of 10 years ago yep. for The Descendants. And Nat Faxon, don't mean to sell him short. He's a funny guy too, who you mm-hmm. wouldn't normally believe has an Oscar. Listen, he's Elfo, right? Yeah. On, uh, Disenchantment. Just watch Disenchantment, the new season of that. He's hilarious. Yes, yes, he is. I did, he was on some Adult Swim show where he plays like a surfing bro, and his voice is so good. Dude, you don't even know. Like, like that guy has an Oscar. It's so good. But yes, the Oscars are out this week. Uh, Disney XD debuts Lab Rats. Uh, yeah, this is a fun little sitcom about superheroes. So, superheroes were a lot less in the popular consciousness in 2012 than now. Not nothing, but mm-hmm. uh, they weren't as omnipresent. And Disney didn't uh, own any yet. So they made their own. It's a bunch of teenagers living in another teenager's basement. They have bionic superpowers. Uh, there's a wealthy inventor and a really annoying laugh track because of course there is. <laughs> Disney Channel programming. Um, And I'm just glad, going to guess jr because none of us do anything but the show parenthood i gotta um, go to bat for parenthood guys yeah. it is some really solid drama it's very family again kind of like six feet under there's no gunshots no dealing drugs no nothing like that it's adults having adult problems kids having kids problems and interacting with each other in really well-written and believable ways it's a grown-up show for grown-ups, but actually kids might like it too, honestly. Um, this specific episode, noticeable because there's a 
tender love scene as a 16-year-old teenage boy loses his virginity with a teenage girl about the same age. And the O'Reilly factor made a huge deal about it. Um, Started ranting and raving, and I'm sure this will be shocking. In in that rant and rave, he admits he never actually saw the episode. Uh, (laughs) But the, uh, the teenagers in parenthood look like teenagers. They don't look like people in their early 30s playing teenagers. And they're good actors. And I thought they handled the topic well and responsibly. I, I think to treat something even more responsibly, O'Reilly Factor fans have to go back and look at the programming 10 years ago and see how much of it is stupid, wrong, or embarrassing. There, that's it. <laughs> just just confront that fact. He's not there anymore. He can't hurt you. March 1st, Awake debuts. Man, I don't remember a bigger push by NBC in 2012 to get a show seen. I think this is the first time I saw a full one-hour drama get a YouTube presence. Like, Because oh. um, this got uh, great reviews. Yeah. My wife and I watched this as it was airing. And yeah, I tried to. It. We thought it was a really interesting premise. And uh, we thought it handled it well. It ends on a note that could either be a conclusion to the series uh, or you could definitely keep the series going. It was very critically well regarded. So NBC did do its dangdest to get this scene. But uh, as written here, a police detective is in a car crash and he awakens. He finds himself switching between two realities, one in which his wife is killed in the accident and one in which his son is dead instead. And yeah. And and, and And starring Jake. And starring Jason Isaacs. Yay. Mm-hmm. He's unable to determine which reality is real. And that's a huge source of drama. They they were definitely doing a balancing act of, is this all in his head? Is this a sci-fi premise where there actually are two realities? And they never really answer it one way or the other. That's nice. And <laughs> I, I think they should have honestly picked one and gone with it, uh, where it's just, no. You're you're insane, and these are uh, hallucinations. Or no, this is sci-fi. Trying to balance mm. the two, I think, kind of weakened. Mm. Sounds like it's kind of like life on Mars, but then half the time it's right. not. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Except you don't know which is real. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's as if the life on Mars guy uh, couldn't tell if seventy-three or two thousand ten was real. Neat man, huh. uh, and you gotta. Pulling out for Rob Schneider this week because uh, no. Rob! <laughs> exclamation point. I believe with the two exclamation points, one on each side. Yeah, um, they had the Spanish exclamation point, so it looked like it was called iRob. iRob. <laughs> I remember that, yes. Series that star- starred and followed Rob Schneider, a former lifelong bachelor with OCD who marries into a tight-knit Mexican family and attempts to be closer to them. This is, I think, the second time Rob Schneider has adapted. We get it. You married a, Mex- a Mexican lady and there's some learning that has to go on. But I, I think he's tried to make this into a show like three times, uh, <laughs> this exact same premise. I think this is a multi-camera sitcom, though. Yeah. Because there's that yeah. Netflix series that is just so bad. Oh, I, I will defend Rob Schneider and SNL forever, but good Lord. Good Lord. Rob is canceled. Also canceled this week, A Gifted Man uh, on CBS. You know what? You give this a description, JR, because I don't know what happens here. uh, About a surgeon who is super focused on being the best he can be, and then his dead wife comes back in ghost form to teach him to be a better person. And Uh, lets him use her as a sword. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Now, as someone who's gotten three surgeries in my life and is going to get another, 
I just want to encourage all of our surging listeners to ignore all efforts at moral improvement and instead focus solely on your hand eye or eye coordination, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Agreed. Absolutely. I think surgeons should have no extracurricular interest whatsoever. <laughs> Because uh, my mom had her shoulder worked on by a guy who has been busted for uh, repeated sex crimes with his girlfriend. So, Ooh. yeah. It probably Good means surgeon, apparently. Really knows how to hide a shoulder injury, though. Weird. That <laughs> sounds like a guy who should not be around medication. Yeah. Yeah. And then what? <laughs> what is going on here? It is the 10th anniversary of the greatest sports celebration of all time by bowler Peter Weber. Are you kidding me? That's right. It's an announcer, but that is the bowler. Who do you think you are? I am. He's just trying to say, Who do you think you are? I am. (laughs) (laughs) What did he even do? He got Ebo to strike. (laughs) Okay. That very rarely happens in bowling. (laughs) Might have been the last strike of the guy. What did he lose? That's right. I did it. (laughs) Fuck everybody. (laughs) Two fingers in the air. Fuck all you, one strike, <laughs> a single strike. Nobody said I could do it, even though I'm a pro bowler on television. Oh, well, I'm a terrible bowler, so next time I go bowling, <laughs> that's going to be every time I even come close I, I'm doing that. I That's the thing. I, that's I'll always disrespect bowling because I do it once every four years, <laughs> and I do it 70% flawlessly. Like I am almost <laughs> perfect at bowling without even trying, just because I can throw a... Shiny, a shiny rock a little harder than Diana. I become good at bowling. Yeah. Well, Maybe you're like is... perfectly designed body yeah. to be a bowler. True. Like, you know, they say Michael Phelps has like the perfectly designed human that body for be. swimming. Maybe that's you in bowling and yeah. you missed your calling. Like a tall yeah. Fred Flintstone. I'd like to counterbalance my ball weight by holding a cigarette in my hand while I bowl. <laughs> I'm the ultimate athlete. My problem is I have noodle arms, so I don't really do well at all unless I'm using literally a child size ball. Well, Diana, that that is also my secret as well. You can Uh, really chuck a ball that is too light for you in a uh way that knocks down all the pins every fucking time because you can throw it at a billion miles. The ball doesn't even spin. It slides. (laughs) That's why I do it. It's my secret. There, it's out there. Beat me in bowling, I dare you. Video games of 2012. Oh, my God. I, I... God, I hate this game. <laughs> I hate this game so much. And part of the reason for what JR listed, uh, the reason why we'll never have another Simpsons game, which is the best non-Simpsons arcade game, but also one of the funniest games of all time. Uh, you know, I know you don't like the arcade game. I do. But uh, I think it's great. But the Simpsons game with new animation with the full support of the voice cast, that happened before and is still currently happening with the Simpsons tapped out 10 years later because it is a non-stop whale-based gotcha game meant to siphon money out of 10% of its users and annoy the rest of its players. Simpsons tapped out on iOS. I cannot believe it is 10 years old. It hasn't. So this game has made over $200 million in microtransactions, which is greater than the domestic gross of Mm. the Simpsons movie. So if you want to know why there will never be another Simpsons game, that's why, because they can just make JPEG art Mm-hmm. and sell it to you for $20 a pop. It is filled with great Simpsons stuff. So you, I 
give it that and almost every family guy i think has one of these games now but they're not as simpsons tapped out is like high up in the app store like every month and has been for like 10 10 years it's still being supported isn't it yeah uh, yeah you know they are they're always adding new things uh there's ads for new episodes in the game wow synergy yay wow. and you know they they will charge you more for the popular characters disco stew costs 20 dollars for you <laughs> <laughs> i i played a disney version of this game and i regret all the time i put it in money i put into that thing and the only reason it's I addicting. only reason i stopped playing is because it spans so many generations of phones they're like yeah Players on phones four generations or older can't load as many characters as we've released. That's a deal breaker. I wanted to have Peter Pan here shaking hands with Sully from Monsters, Inc. for a reason. <laughs> Hell no. I want all three of Donald's nephews out here at all times. And I, I, I deleted it, took the power back. Fuck these games. Oh Yeah, I played this to get a sense for it, and I can see 100% why it was addicting. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I got to the point where I got a pop-up and it was like, would you like to spend some real money? And I was like, maybe delete, delete Delete. game, delete game. I'm out. Remember, you know, this is, this applies to mostly app games. I don't know why I like to say it. If you can't see the clock, you might be in a casino. (laughs) (laughs) And most of these apps hide the clock. So you don't know what you're doing. February 28th, SSX 2012. That's just SSX. And it's the last game in the SSX series, a series I very much loved. And I still have this game in the shrink wrap, and I have not touched yeah. it. So uh, arcade sports games were dying at the time, mm. um, and it's never really been revived. There's been a couple of indie games that have tried, but they don't quite cut it. They added survival elements to this game, what? which to oh, me right. is stupid. Man. SSX should not have death pits where it <laughs> ends your run. I mean, that's that's like the Iron Man mode was uh, required. I mean, wait. This is a skateboarding game, yeah? Snowboarding. snowboarding. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, if it's skateboarding, then yes, they deserve death pits, because I've been <laughs> hit by errant skateboards several times in my life. So. Oh, boy. Well, the, the Listen game to California is girl. low-consequence epic tricks, and it tries to make it to have consequences, which is stupid yeah. and dumb. Yes. Yeah. Especially if we're getting an interest to trick A. 29th Microsoft Flight Simulator 2012 hits Windows. And uh, is that the last one before the new yep. one? This wow. killed the series wow. until uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020. There's absolutely no reason to ever use this over the 2021 mm-hmm. at all. It was canceled within one year. It is not fondly remembered. Wow. And uh, Run Zombies Run debuts on iOS this week. I mm. love this app. I have run 1,500 miles on this app. Whoa! Is this like an app you... had? Is this something you actually run to use? Yes. This is an app where it uses your GPS. It's a bit augmented reality, but it's using your headphones instead of goggles. And it tracks your run, and it places zombies at various places in your run. And you have to start sprinting, or the zombies eat you at certain points. Whoa. And as you're running, it does a serialized radio drama where you are runner five and you have to run to various places to get supplies uh, to help build back during the zombie apocalypse. It's a well done plot. The voice acting is great. It works as an excellent motivator and it's got some funny lines there. Uh, There's uh, one mission where you have to go and run and try to pick up some British tequila, which (laughs) sounds God awful to me. Is, is this, can you, can you play it while listening to a podcast, JR? Yes, you can. Oh, oh, be a sponsor, Zombie Run. This sounds fun. 
It's even though I don't run, but I but I have gamified gamified most of my fitness at this point, so I'm in. It's a perfect gamified of fitness. It's mm-hmm. uh, actually what I used to start running. I used to absolutely hate running in all the times and places, and now it's one of my favorite activities. And a large part of that is getting into it thanks Zombie to this run. game. Hell yeah! Well, that almost concludes our show. We have we're going to tell you who died during this period and quiz you on who uh, who was alive. That sounds too broad but who was who was born who was alive during this period of 30 years like all right bob hope uh, there i am again uh but i gotta tell you to support the patreon patreon.com slash laser time um our buddies george and tony on to talk about not just some of their in conjunction with you know end of the year stuff and the oscars this they're our favorite movies that didn't get nominated for oscars this year and mm-hmm. i was very glad we did that because i wanted to acknowledge some Movies everyone assumed were, was going to get nominated and did not. And we're all... Oscar nominations are always kind of upsetting. And then I see all the movies, get used to it, and the ceremony becomes my Super Bowl. And I love yep. it again. And of course, there'll be an episode of Oscar time. I'm putting Diane on the hook for that. Is that going to happen this year? Um, uh, hopefully. <laughs> I, mean, I hope, hope so, too. It's hard to write 10 sketches, man. I know. <laughs> Especially when you have to cast a bunch of people and play people who aren't your ethnicity remember that gets hard yeah. and we try and write I, our ways write our way around that <laughs> yeah we have a movie that's got a lot of people using sign languages here <laughs> that's kind of screwing us up yeah, yeah i usually get forced to do the ones that are the sketches that will get you in the most in trouble and they end up being the worst <laughs> sketches of the show and now you know why because nobody wants to do them <laughs> also uh video game apocalypse this week i have no idea what we're talking about other than horizon forbidden west we are all playing that, and we'll talk about that along with the top five. I suggested to Michael games with the slowest starts. <laughs> Based on, I don't know, patreon.com slash laser time, a bunch of new shows have hit there. Hear me. I've had to, I had to get physical, physical with somebody at a bar recently. That hasn't happened to me in, like, maybe ever in a bar. I mean, I think I got physical at a party. The party of my life! They're talking about Bel Air, and uh, me, Matt, and uh, Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Parez have a listening party on video game music you can't get out of your head i forget what that was but we play all the music you suggested while talking about it so it's this huge full show that's all based on your feedback so give that a shot people are giving us decent reviews on that so i'm glad we did it Di, where can people find you you can find me on the twitter at listening nerd l-e-c-i-n-e-n-e-r-d or follow the show at 302010 podcast 302010podcast Coming up next week, we have, in two different decades, adaptations of classic science fiction that both fail pretty spectacularly. (laughs) Sweet. And the 90s vision of what virtual reality would be like. Oh, wonderful. Oh, yes. Oh, wonderful. Cannot wait. I believe it was my favorite answer to, in the Laser Time Facebook community, JR asked, what is the weirdest adaptation of a story you've ever heard and the movie we'll be talking about is one of those it is the stupidest 100%. adaptation of all time outside of what were we talking about the weird oh queen of the damned queen of the damned mm. we want to find we will yeah. talk about a movie that is more stupidly adapted than that <laughs> yeah never comes up with stephen king adaptations so you talk and talk about <laughs> the shining mm-hmm. and the different versions of the shining and it, no no it never brings this one up for really good reason pretty incredible <sighs> Pretty incredible. And JR, where can people find you at? Uh, they can find me on Twitter, J-R-R-A-L-L-S, or they can listen to Talking Terrific Television, a chronological examination of The Sopranos. This week, we are talking about uh, the premiere of Cleaver. <laughs> <laughs> 
I liked it. Shall I, I just say it now? Oh, my fucking arm! <laughs> hell Lauren yeah, Bacall Cougar. swearing makes me so happy. Oh, hell yeah. I cannot wait for that. But die who died during this period? In 2002, we lost Lawrence Tierney, who was 82. I think the shocking part is that he made it to 82 because he was a legendary fighting piece of shit. <laughs> drinking and fighting i mean he was in dillinger back in 45 most people probably know him from reservoir dogs right. the guy who sets everything together or was it no. detective mike brodka is that it from the the simpsons episode oh was he I yeah don't know. the uh the one who busts bart for stealing bone storm oh shit was he yeah he had a great voice and was a drunken piece of shit he was arrested literally dozens of times for being drunk and fighting <laughs> over the course of his life during the filming of reservoir dogs which we'll be talking about this year wow he oh shot God. his own nephew because he was drunk and angry wow <laughs> and even tarantino was like that's a little far bro i'm never using you again wow. i always liked you Anyway, we also lost Spike Milligan, who was 83, who was an insane person. Mm -hmm. He's fucking incredible, though. Uh, he was one of the, the main draws on The Goon Show, which is the main inspiration for Monty Python. Mm -hmm. That style of comedy, he was completely revolutionary. And everything he did was really bizarre and hard to understand. He wrote <laughs> the movie The Bed Sitting Room which I've talked about several times as being the strangest movie I've ever seen, where in the after the apocalypse, a man turns into a one-room apartment. <laughs> uh, amongst okay. other things. Yeah. It's so strange. I love it. And then uh, in 2012, that's when we lost Davy Jones of the monkeys. That's... And he was 66. No. It's the first time we lost a monkey. That's it And it had to be the cute one. And that, that like, we've lost more monkeys than beetles. Yeah, Even we're, only, the, we're the down monkeys, to one monkey. The, the monkeys were a response to the Beatles. So yeah. the monkeys were kind of a joke, but yeah. do you think a young person listening to their music today think of them as a joke, or no. is it just part of old-timey music at this point? No, it's just part of old-timey music. They didn't yeah. have to be a joke. It was really the managers and creators of the show that made them a joke. They were all people who had musical ability, and well. then they weren't allowed to use it. Oh. And then developed more, and then made respectable music. But also, it's like from what I see now, the detractors of the monkeys are almost dead, and the kids who grew up liking them just like the monkeys and like whatever yeah, those yeah. guys do. I think yeah. they've got a number of banger hits. They honestly. do. Well, yeah. I mean, that's also the benefit of them, you know, not having the same pressure to write all of their songs all of the time. It's like mm -hmm. they bought a lot of good songs specifically for the monkeys mm -hmm. from really good songwriters. You yeah. know, Neil Diamond. Yeah, uh, uh, Neil Diamond, Goffin King. I mean, yeah, so they had some banger songs. Yeah, Davy Jones has been dead for 10 years. We just lost yeah. our third monkey uh, right last year, in the last year. But with that depressing part out of the way, we got to figure out who was born during this period of 30, 2010. So, blah, 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 birthday. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Oh, Born March 2nd, 1962 in Perth Amboy, New Jersey. Dad was a Marine and mom was a Marine. And then she was a Playboy bunny. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Paul Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> Not from New Jersey. Uh, it was disturbing that you answered that incorrectly that fast. Throw shit at the wall. See what sticks, man. He formed his first band when he was 13 and played consistently all the way through high school. His very first recording came when he was grabbed because he was sweeping the floors at his cousin's recording studio, and they needed backup singers for something. Yes. Uh, not Bon Jovi. It is Bon Jovi. Whoa! Whoa, look at that! 
Damn that. Because I had to leave out that was the Star Wars Christmas album. The Star Wars album. Christmas album is debut appearance. It's He's all of 17. <laughs> Damn, How did I do that? Chris. How did I do that? I, I only thought about the Star Wars Christmas album and, and got that. Um, that was... You're cheating. I think you're looking ahead. No, I wasn't looking ahead. It, it was like we did a Laser Time Christmas episode that talk, went in depth about that. So I remember. Yeah, John, John Bon Jovi. He's it's credited his, under his, his first album. recorded performance is on Star Wars Christmas album. Star Wars Christmas album. Yep. So anyway, after that, he formed a new band. Two years later, when he was 22, they cracked the top 40. Uh, they have sold more than 130 million albums, which is about on par with Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, and Prince. So nuts. Uh, John by himself sang at both Obama and Biden inaugurations and was the founder and part owner of the arena football team Philadelphia Soul. Huh. Yeah. Also, I didn't know uh, that in 2019 the arena football league shut down. All of it? I, yeah. The American one did, yeah. Okay. And anyway, we've talked about him acting in movies, Pay It Forward, New Year's Eve, Leading Man, Homegrown, Moonlight and Valentino, U571, Brief Appearance in Young Guns 2. And I did not know, also, nice thing about John Bon Jovi, besides he's given a lot of money to charity. At the height of his fame, he married his high school sweetheart uh, at the Graceland Wedding Chapel in Vegas by an Elvis impersonator, and they're still together. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Even when he was, you know, on the road and chicks and drugs and, no, nah, married his girl. And he invited Aww. Triumph to make fun of them. Which he did. Yeah. Triumph and Soul Comic Dog. Bon Jovi is one of those things like, eh, that's a flash in the pan, because like it was sort of over by the time I was paying attention to music and they had like one hit always like during that. But like I missed all of Bon Jovi. It was all over mm. by the time and and so every time I see them tour, I'm like, that nostalgia act, but like, no, this defined like a like twelve years of people's music taste, and that's yeah. why they still tour so hard. It, it's way different than I because they kind but of they're a solid ass rock band as right. pretty and they never went full glam like a warrant mm-hmm. they just had some solid ass rock songs yes and uh and yeah with that we'll close that with um the entire album bon jo- slippery when wet no uh <laughs> <laughs> close well, out with i vote ain't too proud to beg tlc's first hit jr mm-hmm. really put in a, a cut song from the Lorax? no <laughs> yeah because this is a sign that we could have gotten a better movie the biggering Mm. song that was cut was cut because it was too dark and too villainous but if it had been more like this song the lorax movie could have been good why don't we encourage people to check out that song and close out (laughs) with the hands in your hands in the air banger ain't too proud to beg by tlc because that's something you can all feel good about no matter how you feel about the lorax but I, i do agree like i'd never heard that until today but let's close out with Ain't Too Proud to Beg by TLC. How about that? You can pick the next one, yeah. JR, just not thing that causes people pain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, people, rate us, review us, patreon.com slash laser time. Uh, tell a friend, maybe, about the show. But if not, we'll see you next week. So be